There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. to the Western Huntsman Podcast, coming at you from the Broken Time Studio in Hayden, Idaho. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Glad you are here. And I have a, a really fun episode today to get out there to the airwaves. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time in this intro talking about it because it is a super long discussion. But I do want to introduce the concept of the panel discussions that uh, is which of which this is the first episode of those. So throughout the winter. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is releasing one of these episodes per month, and it is called the Winter Series uh, Panel Discussions. And this is where we're going to get, instead of just having one guest on, I'm going to get uh, two or three guests on at one time and just generally you know, talk about things, talk about hunting, talk about you know, some of the problems that hunting has, uh, conservation issues, anything um, along those lines. I've got uh, some really good topics lined up. And so for today, what I have is uh, I have Joe Gillia from Elk Bros and Elk, uh, or I'm sorry, Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast in Academy. Uh, and I have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. And I have Dirk Durham, the bugler from the Elk Collective and Phelps Game Calls. I've got, these guys are like the, some of the, uh, the, the biggest names in elk hunt, hunting, some of the, the, you know, best minds of in elk hunting. And I wanted to get them on to talk about elk hunting because we've, we've stopped doing school in September since, uh, you know, shoot, we're like over two months from September now. And uh, I, I miss kind of really talking about elk. And it's always a good topic. It's always a good thing to, to get the kind of pick the brains of these guys that just get it done every year. And um, so I've, I've got these guys on. This is going to be a great episode. Going forward, uh, we're going to solve some problems with these panel discussions and get some conversations going. And I'm looking for people that maybe don't have big platforms. In fact, they don't have a platform at all. Maybe you're just a hunter and and you you have opinions about some of the way uh, wildlife is managed or tag systems are allocated. And I don't care what state you live in. Uh, if you're interested in being on one of these elk panels, shoot me a message and one of the one of the discussion points is there's going to be a, a panel regarding adult onset hunters. So I want to talk to people that they're only up to no more than three years into hunting, and they've they've been out for um, at least one season, but no more than three. If you're if you're past three, you're not a rookie anymore. You, you you're getting salty. You're getting some salt coming out of that salt shaker, and I love it. So I want to hear from you. If you are and you'd be interested in being on one of these panel discussions, shoot me an email at jim at thewesternhuntsman.com. That is jim at thewesternhuntsman.com, and I will read through that. Some of the other topics are going to be conservation and public lands issues. Uh, I want to have a discussion from, with hunters from different states regarding tag draws 
and management things such as, um, you know, season lengths. And, and that's all going to be kind of one discussion. And, and I don't care if you're in Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Arizona, uh, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Idaho, Wyoming, or Montana. Uh, and I'll even throw South Dakota in there. The Dakota, let's throw both the Dakotas in there. Uh, I know that's, that's kind of right the border of Midwest hunting versus Western hunting, but I, I do want to talk to you guys um, about those. And, and on for, for like a topic like that, I don't care if you're a, a brand new hunter or you've been doing this for 40 years or better. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. So if you are interested in being on the show for those panel discussions, again, shoot me an email, jim at thewesternhuntsman.com and tell me kind of what topic you'd be interested in talking about. Uh, so this one is the, this one is the elk panel. Uh, we're going to have a deer panel and we're going to have a bear panel. We're going to have a conservation public lands panel, and we're going to have a adult onset hunter panel. And I think I feel like I'm missing one, but I, I I don't know. I don't have my notes in front of me because I'm unprepared. And that's the kind of student I always was. And I just continues on to today. So, guys, this episode, I hope you enjoy it. It was it was actually a lot of fun getting these guys uh, on on the same episode together and, and ruffling each other's feathers and talking about elk and strategies and calling and behaviors and and uh, just generally things that uh, we as elk hunters like to talk about and, and discuss. Let me know what you think of this episode. And uh, let's get right into it with Dirk, Joe, and Chris. Brothers and sisters, full steam ahead. Sad part now is Dirk can absolutely get naked. Uh, <laughs> I'm already there, bro. Exactly. <laughs> I heard the zipper zip. Oh. <laughs> he just needs that music in the background. Dirk right. doesn't need any music. He makes his own music. I make my own music. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the Western Huntsman podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host. And I got something new and special for you coming at you this week. This is going to be called the Winter Panel Series, the Hunt Panel Discussions. And they're all going to have their own topic, and they're going to come out each month. And this month is going to be probably, well... Let me rephrase that. This month, we're going to do the elk panel. And if you listen to the show, you know that I love elk hunting. I, I have a funny suspicion that the guys I have on this show also love elk hunting. And I am going to introduce them right now. So my first guest, in fact, let me use my announcer voice. My first guest puts the row into the word robust. He doesn't wear skinny <laughs> jeans. Skinny jeans wear him. His cold stare kills more elk than the hoochie mama could ever fathom. This guy doesn't call you on a cell phone. He calls you to his toes. Ladies and gentlemen, founder and owner of Row Hunting Resources, he's no legend. He defines legend. Give it up for Chris Rowe. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> All right. Goodness gracious. I I need to I need to walk out walk back in. I gotta get serious. Apparently, this is gonna be a good podcast. I don't know. I told you, I told you to have cold water ready, brother. Oh, All man, right, and for guest, <laughs> for guest number two, if he were a bowl of cereal, he would definitely be heart healthy. Dads all over the world warn their daughters about men like him. He doesn't own a stove or an oven because excellence 
is best served cold. Bold elk pin posters of him on their walls to honor him in hopes of mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, the man that could bugle a Democrat out of a vegan food court, the legend of the bugler, give it up for Dirk Durham. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> I should have been wearing boots. And, and last but not least, when he sings the song of September, elk don't sing back. They butcher and package themselves out of fear of further consequences. Even God told me it's been hard to be humble after creating him. He's everyone's cool uncle. He doesn't ask you to pass the salt and pepper, folks. He is the salt and pepper. Ladies and gentlemen, founder of Elk Bros and Blue Collar Elk Hunting, make some noise for Joe Gillia. Lord, it's hard to be humble. I just want to know how many takes you did. I, I just want to know how long you worked on those introductions. <laughs> Dude, I am I am smoother than a baby's bottom. I came off uh, all off the top of my head right now. This, this, <laughs> yeah, right. this, is, this has been a long COVID break for you, apparently. I, I, I'm looking I for Crystal. I, all I see is Fabio, man. I, I've, I've been I've been looking for Chris. And I just see Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we had to we had to turn the cameras off because Fabio's in a pair of uh, undergarments that would be undesirable for the audience to see. I don't know about that. <laughs> you, you said you wanted ratings. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I appreciate you guys all being here. Uh, that, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun in this episode. We're going to cover all things elk. And, uh, the, I, I'm, my hope is the, the audience gets a lot out of this conversation and let's have a lot of fun and I, well, let's kick it off by, by I'll kind of go in this order because of the way you're showing up on my screen here. Let's kick it off by you guys kind of telling us a little bit about, about you. You've all been on the show before, so we don't need some long introduction, but, uh, tell us a little bit about you and your platform um, and, and we'll just kind of go in a circle. Joe, let's start with you. Oh, it's, it's easy, man. I, I'll tell you what I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, Dirk is a world champion caller. I am not Chris, the incredible behavioral wildlife biologist, not me, Dirk. He sits around in his underwear at home and okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have one thing in common. <laughs> oh, uh, so I, you know, like you said, we've, we've mentioned it all before and, uh, um, the founder, uh, owner of Elk Bros and, uh, a coach by trade and still coaching. Uh, I've just gone from 15, 16, 17-year-old kids to 30, 40, 50-year-old kids and coaching them how to elk hunt, man. So uh, it it's a passion that I have. I get to I get to do the two things that I know best in life, and that's coach and that's elk hunt, put them together. And you have the Blue Collar Elk Academy. And uh, and it, it's something that uh, I'm, I'm real proud of. It's, it's kind of a life project. So um, just a backwoods country boy that... Uh, Learned how to hunt at an early age and love to uh, get out there with critters, find out how they work, and and then use that to my advantage. So elk, Fantastic. elk is my thing, man. Elk is your thing, Joe. I've seen some of those bulls you've been putting down. Um, Dirk, let's go with you. You next, brother. So I've been uh, hunting elk since I was 15 years old, before I even had a driver's license. And uh uh, it swept me away to this crazy um, addiction, passion, uh, way of life uh, ever since. So um, 
recently, uh, this last year, um, did a collaboration with some good friends and, and guys in the elk hunting industry, uh, Dan Staten, Jason Phelps, and John Gabriel, and we started the Elk Collective. And um, what what our, our biggest thing was, we wanted um, we didn't want this to be one man's opinion or two men's opinion. We wanted this to be a collective of ideas um, because let's face it, there's there's more than way one way to skin an elk, you know. Um, and I feel like in the hunting industry, in the hunting space. And well, in a lot of different spaces, people have all these different opinions are pretty passionate about and elk hunting is, you know, that's one of them that um, just because I do it different doesn't mean I'm wrong. And just because Chris does it a certain way doesn't mean he's wrong and doesn't and Joe does it a different way doesn't mean he's wrong. I think there's just everyone's right. You know, if they're putting down elk and it shouldn't be it shouldn't just be such a narrow minded scope. I think everybody should come to the table and be able to teach uh, new hunters and old alike uh, different ways to hunt elk. And I think I think a lot of people will probably take a little bit from everybody and kind of formulate their own way of elk hunting. And uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's a good way to, to bring everybody in the industry together rather than sitting there and throwing rocks and saying, oh, that guy, he, he says this or he thinks that. No, man, we're all in this together. And, and uh, obviously, well, we ha- all have a passion for it. And, and uh, I, I've learned a lot from Chris just listening to him talk and his seminars and stuff and, and just kind of a different perspective and a different way of thinking. Sometimes I think we get kind of narrow minded on on uh, on what on the way we think elk behave, elk live, whatever. And you get a new perspective. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. And then it opens up a whole new world of of ideas and learning, too. So. Um, you know, Dirk, all about. you you said something to me, and I don't know if it was on the show or just sometime we were talking or, or whatever, but we, we were having a discussion uh, about, you know, the Elk Collective and, and the other platforms that are out there. And the you, you were talking about how some people see this as, you know, potential competition and and or I was saying that and and your opinion of it was you, you said something along the lines of. Uh, raising or rising tides raise all ships, and that that actually, as if I'm going to make a confession, that actually triggered my idea for doing these panel discussions like this, because you're absolutely right. You each have a different perspective in a different way of of uh, that you pursue this thing we call elk hunting, and and that that's kind of what the concept of this show is in terms of of these panel discussions is is the rising tide is it is it's going to lift all ships you guys all have excellent platforms and uh i i'm really excited to dive into all this so uh, let's just get let's just keep rolling i guess i i'm i'm kind of rambling here which is what i normally do so chris what how about you brother <laughs> uh not no uh, so i grew up hunting uh and fishing was just passionate about um animal behavior wildlife management so decided to become a wildlife biologist uh, again, was always passionate about behavior and why critters do what they do. And then as a hunter, always trying to see if I couldn't take that knowledge and, and make myself more efficient on the landscape and hunting. But it also translated into some of the stuff that I do from habitat management and critter management on the landscape as well. So over the years, um, decided to start sharing a bunch of that information uh, to the hunting public in about 2010, back when 
internet finally started getting a little bit more user-friendly for the average Joe. We started row hunting resources where I just kind of took a lot of that information that I had and started putting it on the interwebs. And we started row hunting resources. It's a subscription-based model where you can come in. It's just, you know, we've got elk, turkey, and whitetail, but elk is really the flagship one. That's where we've got over 50 hours of in-depth video-based um, education stuff. And, and a lot of it, the one thing that, that I wanted to always do was two things. One is so what factor? Why am I, why am I flapping my gums at you? You know, am I giving you something of quality? And then the other thing is putting elk in front of you so you can watch elk do elky things. And then we can talk about it and then you can kind of understand some of that behavior that I talk about. And I focus on a little better. If, If you can watch the animal do what we're talking about, and then be able to identify that on the landscape for yourself. I think it just helps with the education process to really solidify it. So that's really what I've been doing since about 2010. You know, every year, just dive in a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and and just try to share that information with as many people as we can. You know, you know Chris, cool. who's laughing? I'm sorry. I hear, I hear laughing. <laughs> no, go, go ahead, Jill. Well, you know, I think the key word you're hearing from everybody here is it's it's about education. And I had somebody just the other day um, put something on on you know how social media, and Instagram, and kind of uh, attacked a little bit that you know that we were cannibalizing elk hunting by putting all this information out and you know convincing people to go out there that um, want to go elk hunting and you know uh, they don't know what they're doing. They go half mile from their vehicle. They you know they uh, take tags from everybody. You know, I mean, it was just uh, that kind of aspect that social media and what we do and how we educate some of that was actually hurting. And you know, I I, I think the the key thing that you hear here is about education. You know, uh, you hear from Dirk, you hear from Chris, you hear it from myself, and. You know, my answer to that was, is people got to understand that things like social media, things like all those videos on YouTube, all that stuff isn't going away. So we can either have a bunch of people out there in the woods blowing it up for everybody because they don't have a clue, or we can do something on our part to help make them so they understand the nuances, so that they are responsible, so that they are ethical, so that they understand etiquette and we actually make it a better situation for all of us. And, uh, you know, when I when I look at what these gentlemen are doing, I mean, the expertise behind that and, and the years behind that and the passion behind that, you know, I, I am not, look, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And when you have people like Dirk, you have people like Chris, you have a platform like ours, the the whole idea is to be part of that solution. So I I just kind of wanted to, you know, really put that out there that I think it's, it's real special what all these platforms are bringing. I, I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Expand on that a little bit. Go for it, man. That's what yeah, we're here. No, I, I, no I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that because I get the same criticism as well. Um, some people are deadly serious about just absolutely pissed off that, uh-huh. you know, some of the stuff that we share. Um, and then there's other people who just tongue in cheek joke about it because they want to keep it as a secret for themselves because it helps them be successful. But the, the thing that really re- has resonated with me over these years and now that I'm, you know, I'm out here in Northwest Kansas managing some whitetail and turkey properties and, and I get to see, I used to be a public land hunter. Well, no, let me rephrase that. I am a public land hunter, but in Kansas, I used to only hunt public land. 
and then it changed into a mix of public and private land. And now I manage, a, you know, several thousand acres of private land for hunting. So I don't hunt uh, public out here. Um, but, you know, you sit there and you watch the change over the years on hunting pressure, hunting demand. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking Kansas, whether what I've seen in Colorado. Um, yes, that what you said, John, is is, is right. You, you and you said part of the problem, part of the solution. The other thing too is you better you better learn to adapt. If you cannot sure. adapt, you're gonna you're just gonna fade away. If not, just flat die. Because this is a different world. Yes, are we losing hunting uh, hunter numbers, sheer numbers? each year. Yes, we are. But I would argue that what we are getting in return is a more dedicated hunter and a more passionate hunter. And over these past several years, if not more than a decade, I can absolutely tell you the demand for high quality experiences on the landscape has gone through the roof. And so you have people that people that are just absolutely saying, okay, I can go wander around in the woods and hunt. Absolutely. Or I can take my time and my money, my efforts and and, and the the free time I have in the off season. And I can try to make it so when I go out into the woods this fall, I can have a higher quality experience. And there are more and more people that are just absolutely hungry for a higher quality experience. And so not only do we have all the education stuff that's out there, but we also have new clothing lines and, and new uh, textiles that, that make our clothing better for us to be able to stay out in places longer in a wider array, uh, array of and variety of weather conditions. Our tents, our backpacks, our bows, all of the technology that we are taking to the field is way the hell different than what it was 10, 15 20 years ago. So for the individual and I, I, John, I, Joe, I mean, I, I, I hear you completely because I get the same thing for those people that are grumpy about the fact that we are helping people shorten their learning curve, learning curve. Yep. Absolutely. If that's the case, then what I would say is, okay, Think about where they start. And, and a lot of this ends up, and I'm not being trying to be disrespectful. A lot of this, in my opinion, stems from a core uh, a jealousy because they had to go out there and struggle. It took them years to be successful. And maybe they only have one or two places that they hunt that they used to be successful. And now all of a sudden, you know, that blankety blank evil YouTube had a video and, and some celebrity was nearby. And, and now I've got all these people hunting my state. I mean, Dirk, heck, you could talk about Idaho, what's going on there right now. But uh, it's not the same world. It's not. No, it's not. You you make a really good point there, Chris. And and the reason why I want to chime in right there is because – so you guys, you guys, all three of you, you have years of successful hunting under your belt, right? And I I also have years of hunting, but you got to take the word successful out. So, so where, where this stuff is beneficial to me. So people that have a sour attitude about this kind of stuff, uh, need to need to understand one thing, the way I was raised, sorry, dad, I was not (laughs) taught how to hunt properly. I, I, like my family did not know how to hunt. 
it, it, we, they would go out and, and it's, that's totally fine for the people that just want to go out there and have a good time for the camp and the camaraderie and have the friends around the fire and drink beers. And I love all that, 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 that I'm not discounting any of that, but they, they never truly learned how to be proficient and successful hunters. And they, they freaking taught me all the wrong things about elk. And I spent years struggling to get elk. And, and you know what changed for me is platforms like Row Hunting Resources, the Elk Collective, YouTube, sure. a Blue Collar Elk uh, Academy, and, and podcasts and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I realized, oh man, that's why every time I make a bugle, um, I'm, not, I, I'm not getting a response. Oh, that's why I'm looking, I, I, I don't find any elk. I'm looking in the wrong kind of areas that elk live in. That's why, uh, you know, every time I, I see a whitetail, he's going in the other direction. All these things that that came together for me and things turned and, and this was like a, a year uh it, it was like a 12 month thing for me all of a sudden i discovered all this information and and the next season things started happening for me and i started notching tags that i was never notching before and and that's why people maybe when they when they do get a little bit irritable about it you have to understand we're all hunters we're all in this together and the better we all are as a whole a we're going to get along better we're going to be more successful together and things are going to go smoother in the future and and you got to think about the fact that that we have challenges as hunters uh, in terms of our future as hunters. And, and so we have to be together, united, and 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 have this, this passion. Everybody has to be passionate. Like if I kept hunting the way I was raised to hunt, I would have lost my passion for it because I sucked. I mean, I was like the worst hunter. Joe Dirt could out hunt me. And, and that's, that's how bad it was. Y'all so quit throwing, throwing Joe out, man. <laughs> I throw, I throw Joe dirt under the bus all the time on my show, man. I even bought, I even bought a Joe dirt wig and I make videos of, with my Joe dirt wig on. I love it. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I, I got a, I got a question for Chris oh, no. real quick, because this, this has been nagging me. You sent me, and I, I know it's kind of off topic, but you sent me a picture of a, um, rather desirable whitetail buck and i want to know if either you or one of your clients got that thing oh man twist the knife why don't you um no, <laughs> no oh okay no. that answers my so, question no he's he's at, at this moment as far as i know unless somebody poached him in the last couple of days no he's alive and well he showed up to, uh three days ago so um not only I, I mean, I could talk for a long time on this. He, he's a cool deer. So he he op occupies a home range that encompasses uh, about four different landowners, me being one, our, our complex being one. Three of those four landowners have quality habitat that can be hunted. And all three of us have different levels of hunting on our respective parcels. He vanished in the end of October and no one that I know of saw him just, uh, just flat vanished. Well, you know, all of us are sitting there going, well, who knows what happened? Maybe he got poached. Maybe he went somewhere else. Well, yeah, the other day here, he shows back up on one of our, one of my key pieces. Um, and that was right. And if you followed me on social media, you know, what buck I harvested this year, it was literally, yeah, it was like the day was or the classy. day after that was classy, Chris, that was classy. I know it was but, the day after that it, buck showed up. Yeah. I mean, literally I'm sitting uh, there cause I run a lot of cell cameras to be for security purposes. Um, and literally, I mean, it was my, that buck's hanging in my garage the next night or the day after whatever blink here he is 20 yards in front of the double ladder stand. I'm like, 
Yeah, he's a legit 170, 180 buck. Yeah. I'm glad you told me that you run those cell cameras, man, because I was going to. I was going to dress like Dirk Durham and sneak onto that property at night, and I was going to track that buck down. But apparently, that's not going to happen if you got cell cameras. No, go, please, please do. I need to test it periodically. So go ahead and try. <laughs> Besides, my what the game board has been sitting here twiddling his thumbs. It's been COVID. It's been slow, so he needs work to do. But dress I, I, from the waist up, please, Dirk. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I you never know. Some people might think it's Doug Flutie. It might be Doug okay, Flutie. Know, look, I have a bone to pick about that whole Doug Flutie thing because I don't get why everybody <laughs> thinks it's so funny, man. I mean, I, I got twelve cousins. I got twelve cousins and a neighbor that would be listening to Doug going, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Doug. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> I, I actually, I had a, that, oh my God, don't even get me started. I had a family <laughs> member call me and be like, hey, I really like that Doug Flutie episode, man. I mean, that guy knows what he's talking about. Like, I'm not kidding you. This dude is a hillbilly that lives out in the sticks and he's a cousin. I'm surprised he even has a cell phone. Calls me up and was all excited about Doug Flutie's episode as if it wasn't satire. It was pretty funny. The only we, thing we was, are, I mean, it was, it was two point on for it's, there was a lot of experience factor in that. So <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, we all get to be, uh, yeah, so, no comment. Flutie. <laughs> so I, I, I want to take you to that experience factor thing that, that I just talked about there and, and, and bring you back around a little bit to what we were talking about, because there's a, there's a point I want to make when you were talking about flattening that learning curve earlier, Jim, is that I, w- I want you to think about something that, you know, most guys, they go out for a five or seven day season a year. That's it. Right. And mm-hmm. yep. some guys, if they can get out there every year, I mean, these guys coming from back East. So you think about it, if they're out there for seven days a year, that means in five years, they've gotten just about a month's worth of experience. If you think about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and and that's why you know the the type of things that we're talking about for those experience factors. I, I just wanted to throw that in there um, from what we were talking about before. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to dump off of uh, Doug there because I love uh-huh. Doug, man. Because <laughs> I actually have a couple of bones to pick with Dirk, man. Because uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, Dirk, popcorn. Let's just fire away. I can get some popcorn. Hey, man. <laughs> You know, uh, the whole Maverick thing, your car don't start, get a Maverick. Can't find your dog, get a Maverick. Your wife wants to leave, get a Maverick. Look. Yeah, where uh, was that? Was that, a, where was that? I, I remember that. Your, your, your wife wants, wants, your wife wants was to leave, it's because of Maverick. It's like, it's like when you get, when you get uh, a Britney Spears song stuck in your head and it won't go away, that, that damn Maverick ad would not get but, out of my, where was that? Wait, was that wait, on a podcast? Hold, hold. Okay, hold on, hold on a minute. But, but, hold but on, I'm hold on. on. Wait, 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 wait. No, I don't really get Britney Spears songs stuck nah, in my head. Really. I, you let that one out too quick. That one came out just subconscious. I want to know more about this this Britney, Fear, this Britney Spears. How many albums do you own? A few. Uh, oops, I did it again. All <laughs> I... All I know, man, is I'm on my 256 Maverick, and I still have a dead vehicle, no dog, and Mavericks <laughs> fell like tears when my wife left me, man. So, yeah. <laughs> you should have stuck with a pink one, song. <laughs> it does sound like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Garth Brooks. Uh, Dirk, I, let, let's, I want to start with you with this question, man. 
what what do you think has changed the most since like the days you started elk hunting and 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 think of something that is applicable as to like why would that be important today to know what has changed the most in 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 the world of elk hunting in the in the I don't want to call it a lifestyle it sounds so cliche-ish and lame um passion passion yeah passion's a great way to put it what's changed um man i'd say the whole face of elk hunting's changed a lot um since i started hunting i mean back when i was uh, a kid uh you if somebody said going elk hunting immediately a picture would be painted in my mind's eye of wall tents and horses and um setting up a camp and and hunting right out of camp for you know 10 to days or five days or however long you got to where nowadays, um, you know, I, I picture Jim Zumbo and that beautiful mustache he had and that big cowboy yeah. hat and, and his Le- Levi jeans, button fly, Love it. <laughs> 501s, you know, that, those are the kind of the, the, the pictures in my head um, that I, I, I remember from back in those days. Fast forward to today, elk hunting now is all about technical gear. Um, gadgets, uh, technology, as far as handheld device, just technology. I, I feel like that we're, we're, we are almost living in the good old days of elk hunting in, as far as like the equipment we have and the resources at our fingertips. Um, it's not as, it's, it's not as difficult, I think, to hunt these days or, or go elk hunting these days as it was back then, especially for guys who coming from the, the east side of the of the nation, coming to the west. Um, so much more information and good gear available. Back in them old days, I mean, shoot, you had to have big wall tents and bed rolls. And it was a huge camp uh, compared to like all the lightweight stuff now. And, and, and some guys still hunt that way, which is awesome and very romantic. But uh, I feel like more and more today, everyone's gravitating towards high-tech uh, uh, technical clothing, lightweight gear, um, and gadgetry, which it's not a bad thing. But but the interesting thing is, if you look at, and, and I hear this all the time with these naysayers, especially um, people who don't want to embrace, it's it's a never-ending battle of uh, argument in Idaho here about uh, lighted, <laughs> lighted arrow knocks, right? Yeah, lighted knocks, yep, yep. By God, if, if, yeah. you, if you let Idaho have lighted knocks, you might as well throw the whole damn state away because all of a sudden overnight, we're going to have, you know, 80% success rates. But if you look at success rates in 1989 versus 2020 in the archery world, especially it hasn't really increased that much. Uh, even with all this awesome high tech gear and all this information or fingertips, um, it still hasn't increased uh, dramatically to where people, uh, fishing game agencies aren't saying, oh, hold on, man, we got to make some changes because, you know, people are just knocking the crap out of the deer, the elk and the deer with uh, with their bow and arrows. So, yeah, I know, um, I know. I think it, I think there's been a huge face facelift or a big change. But in the end, there hasn't been a lot change. So, I mean, yeah, that lighted knock thing, I, I, and I've gone back and forth on that issue a million times. I've never used one. I've literally never used one. And, and I've, I've hunted elk in, in Utah, Idaho, and Washington. And uh, so I haven't hunted all over the West, but I've hunted elk in enough places that I know. I, I'll, I'll leave you guys, if, 
I, th- I think I I basically talked to you all three of you about this last September situation I had where where I hit that bull. It was a complete pass through, and I never found him. And uh, I lost I lost several nights of sleep over this. Uh, and and this it's what's been bothering me about that situation for me. And I kind of want to get your guys' take on this. Is when I think back to the moment that I released the arrow. And I hit that bull and he flopped around like a, like a fish on the, on the bank. And then he got up and ran off. I, I and I, I never found him. When I think back to the moment I released the arrow, I can't think of anything that I would change about my shot, my placement, my, my setup. And, and, and that bothers me like th- that, that's, and, and that's something that bothers a lot of bow hunters, you know, when that does happen, because inevitably it happens to everybody, but it, it usually I can say, oh man, I, I know what I did. I deflected off that twig. I, de- I, I, I was, I was holding a little high or I didn't, I didn't range it uh, or, or, you know, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I don't have an answer this time. And, and I feel like if I had that lighted knock, it would have, because it was getting dark, it was starting to, you know, the sun was starting to fade and I feel like I would have seen where that arrow went through. What let, let's talk about that situation. Has has that happened to you guys? And and what do you say about that when when you do hit an elk somewhere and and you never find him? Like comfort me a little bit. <laughs> or don't I, I or think, rip me apart. I, I think, you know, I I personally I'm all for allowing lighted knocks here in Idaho or in any other state. I mean, Pope and Young has has said they're fa- fair chase. Uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't have them. Um, personally, I'm I may or may not want to use them. Um, no no particular reason. I mean, I could I could take them or leave them. But um, I'm with you though, Chris. Uh, not Chris. I'm with you, Jim. Um, I love you too, man. If it, it, it would have it would have been <laughs> awesome for you to be able to know exactly what what happened to your arrow once you released it. Um, even in really good lighting, I've lost sight of my arrow many times, and to where like man, God, I, I think that was good, but I'm not sure. I lost sight of the arrow in good light in a close shot. And then yeah. only to have, you know, the elk run just a short distance and die. Or, you know, let's let's face it, we've, we've probably all lost an elk or so. And that would, maybe you would have changed, did everything a little different in your, your track job. Maybe not of knowing and say, oh, shoot, my, my arrow went X you know, went wherever you might say, Oh, it, it didn't even hit a vital spot and, and I'm good. And then you wouldn't have all this heartbreak and sick to your stomach. You'd still yeah, have some heartbreak that, because you didn't still didn't make a perfect shot. It, it would, was. Yeah. It would have I, closure to it. That, that closure is, is I feel like what I needed on that one because it, it like, I'll tell you, you guys all have these elk hunting platforms. Let me put it to you this way. Had I had a video camera, somebody filming that entire encounter with that elk, it, it's a, it was a textbook call-in. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I am trying to highlight the fact that I, 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 I warmed that elk up, and then I pissed him off. I closed the distance, and I got that sucker to come in so spitfire mad, he couldn't even see straight to 23 yards. And I, I, I loved my arrow play, or my shot placement and, and where, where I thought that arrow was going, but that's the mystery. Bam. That's where the whole, you know, what, what I thought was just this glorious call-in session with this pissed-off bull elk. And he was a mature bull. He was a good bull. He wasn't, you know, some record breaker or anything by any means. But I would have been so happy with him and thankful for him that I, I can't even begin to describe it. 
and I never found him. And so that is no, – Go ahead. I Joe. want to tell you, Jim, though, there's look, when it comes to these critters, they are so big, they are so strong, and you can do everything right and crap can happen, man. Things can go south. I mean, everything right. I, I get to see so many shots and so many hits. Being a guide, uh, beyond what I do myself, I get to do so much of that throughout the season, both rifle and 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 bow. And I had a client this year that uh, punched perfect, man. I mean, right in the pocket. Everything was there. And three days later, I find this bull. Three days later. And I, I've got a photograph of where the hit goes in. Anybody would look at that and go, dead bull. I mean, it, that's it. it. It's down. And uh, gosh, going to be down at least in 400 yards. And that bull ended up living for over 36 hours, walked off, and I found him a little over three quarters of a mile after putting on after putting on 20 miles of search and trying to find it. And, you know, the greatest thing about finding that animal, you know, it was bittersweet because we found the animal. We could no longer harvest the meat. But what it did do was my hunter was so, just like you, beating himself up to the point where he was talking about giving up archery, man, because he was like, you know, I, I shouldn't be out here if I'm going to do this to an animal. And when we found that animal, yeah, I, what it did was, it, yeah, it validated. Did you really? I, I did. I had that thought. I'm like, man, maybe I should, mm -hmm. like, I, whenever I use a rifle, the animal goes down. And, and I, I've taken animals with my bow and I'm good with, with my bow. But when that happened, I thought maybe I am not good enough to do this. And so and I don't mean to turn this into that whole, um, right, I can do right, a whole get podcast that. about how much I, I can cry in my beer over that, that, uh, you know, 29th day of <laughs> September, 2020. But you know, it, that, that thought does go through and I'm, I'm glad you guys found it because, cause like, uh, one of you guys said that closure, I think is super important. Well, yeah, my point, my point is, is that you're not always going to get the answer, man. Sometimes crap just happens. And I mean, I looked at this yeah. hole and then when we looked at the opposite side, how it happened because the bull was quartering away slightly, the arrow goes in behind the shoulder and somehow gets turned and comes out, only gets one lung and comes out about uh, four inches past the other lung, which oh, let that yeah. go for a while. But by all science and by all looks and everything that I've ever seen, there's no way that should have happened, but it did. So, I mean, yeah. stuff happens sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll add to, to Joe. I mean, that's, that is the one thing that I will say um, for me, guiding has taken away a lot of my personal opportunity to hunt, but it puts me in the, in the back pocket of way more experience and more people actually mm -hmm shooting and killing animals. And yeah, I mean, I, I, so Dirk, to your point, um, I was heavily involved with, uh, sportsman politics in Colorado before I moved out here. And I was on the board of directors for Colorado bow hunters association back when Colorado, well, the last iteration that Colorado sportsmen were wrestling over lighted knocks. And I'll tell you, it just, it saddens me to hear some of the same tired old arguments be, that, that we argued 10 years ago being used in Idaho right now. It's like, okay, oh, guys, yeah. seriously, this is, and, and I, and I, and I, this is not meant as any disrespect. It, it's not a, I'm not saying this in a pejorative. I'm not trying to, to cut someone down, but 
the vast majority of people that were still opposed to lighted knocks are people that had limited to zero experience with lighted knocks and lots of and lots and lots and lots of different people shooting arrows hitting lots of different animals because you know I've got that one YouTube video of my client in Arizona he was using a crossbow at the time and the on video the shot looks like he just 12 ringed that thing the hunter thought he 12 ringed that thing the bull turns off takes off and goes off running I catch up I get up there we look at the bolt and there's stomach material on the bolt Oh, wow. so, you, so you sit there and you're like, what the, now I had to, you know, anybody who's watched that video knows I left the camera rolling, let my hunter stay there. And I just left. I dropped back. I did the classic fadeaway calling and I, I was able to get the bull to come in, but I did not see anything unfold. I was almost a hundred yards away by that time. So when I get up there, he's excited. He thinks he 12 ringed it. He knows the direction that the animal took off running. We go up there, I see the tracks, we find the bolt, and the first thing I look at is, I'm looking at stomach material on the bolt. Well, what Crazy. the freaking hell, what, yeah, what, what the, what, my mind, I'm like, oh, hell no. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so, but he, and meanwhile, his head's going, what the, no, I, no, I, no, I know where I hit him. And I'm like, the, the bolt, the stuff that's on the bolt, don't lie. Yeah, sure enough, yeah. we, we followed that bull. I don't know. We went 60, 80 yards and boom, these piled up. We're like, what the? Sure enough. I mean, arrows and bolts were, are going to do some crazy things inside yeah. critters. And that mm -hmm. arrow went in, 12 ringed him. And for some reason, whether it glanced off a bone, whether I don't know how, what, I don't know. It took a hard left and exited out the guts. Now, yes. it was enough to cause all that hemorrhage and all that damage. And, I mean, the, the bull died. Like I said, the bull took off in a dead run and died like 80 yards away. So, I mean, the dead he was dead in seconds. But being able to have the video camera there, we were able to go back and say, okay, well, took it. obviously, we found the animal pretty quickly. But the, the issue with the lighted knock is it does not, in, in my opinion, it does not help you. It does not put an animal in front of you. It does not assist you in making the shot. It does not do anything yeah. to kill the animal. It doesn't fly further. It helps you. Sure. It doesn't fly yeah, it helps you re yeah, it helps you recover that animal. And Absolutely. for those people mm -hmm. that will argue that, well, it's going to increase harvest success and harvest rates, I would argue, say, well, hold on a minute. Dirk, you, I think you said it. Per someone goes and makes a shot. And then loses that or doesn't know where that where that arrow went and and doesn't know how the arrow went through the animal where he hit it he she hit it they go to follow up and then they're like oh well I must have missed or I must it must be not to be a lethal shot or whatever and they don't find the animal there are a lot of people that will go back out and continue to hunt and if they go sure. out and they harvest another animal well they just killed two animals they they legally harvested one animal and tagged it. And they could have looked and they, they, they did due diligence on their first one, but the animal still died. However, if you put an arrow that has a lighted knock on it through them, you might darn well know that, oh, crap, I did hit him a little far back and it was a liver shot. I don't need, I can't go after him in 30 right minutes away. or an hour. Absolutely. I need to wait for six hours so I don't jump him and push him into the next county, unbeknownst yeah. to me. I, I can look on my wall right now 
at one of my best whitetails. I shot this thing from a tree stand, 20 yards. I was above him. It went high in, basically high in the rib cage along his spine and angled forward in his body. Arrow did not come out. It was just late evening. And he took off and he ran out. It was 20 mile an hour winds, really windy that night. It was really warm. It was a, he came into the decoys. He just destroyed the decoy. I smoked him. He takes off running. He goes out into the CR, this tall, tall, four foot tall grass of CRP. The arrow never came out. The entrance hole is next to his spine coming in from the top. What, what is Not CRP? A drop of blood. Conservation Reserve Program. It's basically native grasses, warm season grasses. So imagine grasses that are three to four foot tall, thick. I mean, they're just massive, thick, oh, tall it's, grasses. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, like a habitat management type kind of area. Yeah, you 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 see people pheasant hunt it and all that type of stuff all the time. It's great bedding cover. It's just absolute nasty thick stuff that's great for pheasants and quail and deer bedding and all that mm. stuff. But when you have no blood trail, it's impossible to track through. Becomes a nightmare. So, yeah, so I spent that night trying to find this deer, can't find him. I said I've got to wait until morning and I'm going to have to come back and crisscross. The next morning now all night long it's like 70 degrees out. Right. So I come back the next day. I start at the tree stand. I start grid searching this thing. I eventually find my deer. The meat is completely spoiled. Mm-hmm. At, at the kill site, I'm sitting there with my deer. I turn around and I look and I can physically see my tree stand platform. And the arrow is sticking straight up in the air. If I'd had a lighted knock, I would have watched that deer run across that CVRP and just fall over dead. I 12 ringed him. There just was no blood. If I had had the lighted knock, I would have recovered that animal within 30 minutes and I would have saved every ounce of that meat. But because I didn't have that, I lost an entire, I mean, he's a mature six-year-old deer, 200 plus pounds. I lost every stick of ounce of meat just because there was no physical way to track that deer. I just happened to catch the offside knuckle of his shoulder. It stopped my arrow and it didn't go through. So I had no blood trail. Chris, you totally, no you totally problem. validate their argument, Chris, in all the ways that they are not even thinking about. And that's that by having something like that, it is going to increase harvest because it's going to turn W's into notched tags. And what I mean is turn wounded Wounding animals yep. into notched tags. So it absolutely well, yeah. is going to increase the harvest in that way. And we talk, it's going to increase we're, the we're statistics. Like, and we're talking like this is this is just an archery hunter's problem. This this shit happens no, with rifle hunters man, all the time. Good man, like absolutely. Like, like I I mean I I've I've shot I've shot I, the, and I I remember the moment like it was yesterday. I shot a monster mule deer one year, and that by 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 all means that that should have been a dead buck. The way I saw where it hit it, I you know they do that little hop. And and the way you could you could see that fur move through the scope, you, you, all of it. That should have been a dead buck. Never found him. Never. Fa- I even went back like a week later looking for crows, looking you know looking around. Never found him. I don't know what happened. He should have been a dead buck. So this isn't just an archery problem. Is is a point I'm trying to make. But when it comes to archery, I, I think that the lighted knocks are are nothing but beneficial to both the hunter and the elk. And when I say the elk. When somebody wounds an elk, it could take three weeks for that thing to die. And and that hunter has moved on. He's determined he hasn't killed that bull, and he's going to go maybe shoot another bull. And mm-hmm. and uh, so, so everybody's suffering 
when that happens. So anyway, what not to not to stay on the lighted knock topic all night, but um, actually, Joe, you brought up a point that I, I want to talk about uh, what, when you were talking there. I, I want to ask, and I kind of want everybody's opinion on this. Like, what? Wh and I'm starting with you, Joe, strictly because um, I just read your your blog post about that guided hunt you went on with that cow elk. Right. What? What in your mind? What is it that elk hunters do that messes up their hunt more than anything else? What is it that they do that messes up their hunt more than anything else? What What would you it, say is like the biggest mistake they make consistently across the board? For me, um, the biggest mistake they make is not really knowing their animal. Uh not knowing how to finish and close a deal, not understanding the anatomy, not understanding what to do when they get to that point. Um, and I think a lot of them, I think a lot of elk hunters, especially because they see so much of this stuff, all of this YouTube video and everything like that and everything, they see all these highlight reels basically that they get out there and they think, okay, I'm going to do some screaming. I'm going to do this. And I was going to come in. I'm going to shoot it. We're done. Boom. I'm happy. And it doesn't happen like that, man. It's work and it's a grind. And I think probably if, if I, now that I'm kind of putting this in my head, I think their expectations are probably, uh, or, the level of expectation uh, is probably their biggest mistake, and that they don't have um, they don't have a correct reality on what it's going to take, and so they're not able to match up um, what all it takes out there. How tough the grind that, is. That that's you know? a great point. Uh, <laughs> just just to pause, hold that thought because to to shift over to Dirk for a minute, Dirk, you you are the dude that does. Uh, a lot, and I say I mean a lot of YouTube content. And I, what the question I have for you is: How many hours of film? Uh, maybe I'm aging myself. That sounds, you know, uh, what do you call it now video. that it's digital? Like, <laughs> like and, it's and called it's, video. It's not even video now. Okay, it's all, video. It's all... <laughs> Just be, just be platform neutral. Just say how much content, how much go, content, how much content do you video to make one of those? Like, I think your videos are usually like 40, 45 minutes, somewhere around there to make one video. Oh man. Um, it's hard <laughs> to say, you know, it's day to day. I mean, you start rolling Rolling tape. <laughs> yeah, you got your reel. You got your black and white reel. That you. How many of those reels do you carry in your pack, old timer? Uh, eight, the old eight millimeters. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There you um, go. But uh, you know, it. you start you, you start filming at daylight every morning, and then you're done at like after dark. And in between there, you've you've got anywhere from two hours to to maybe six hours of, of film, depending on what kind of day you had. If you had a day yeah. where you're chasing bugles all day long, you're rolling, you're rolling all day long. So yep. um, there's, there's tons. So then um, trying to condense that down into a, a watchable um, segment of video is, is hard, but then also to kind of leave in some of the same element of what, what Joe talked about, you know, this, this, expectation versus reality 
Um, like when I edit, I try to leave in as much stuff to where people yeah. will, will kind of understand, like, hey, I might have to bugle a whole bunch before I ever hear an elk or, or see an elk or, or whatever, instead of just walk out and bugle, oh, heard one. And then, the, in, you know, 15 minutes later, we, we're standing on top of an elk. I, I try to leave in as much much of that as I can, that relevant stuff to where, oh, why does he do this or why did he do that? And that way it kind of pieces all that together. But I know, um, you know, not to pick on the Primo's guys, but I, you know, which I've seen every single tape. I think that I own every Primo's Truth Series elk hunt, but those are more of a, seem like more of you a highlight probably, reel. You- you probably still own the VCR to play them too. Well, you damn right I do. <laughs> <laughs> beta, I have the beta version. Of- <laughs> the beta <There> version. Go. <laughs> if you're gonna do it, do it quality, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, that was uh, around yeah. for what one year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was a man, good year, Joe. It was, it was a, a good year. year. <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> so, no, but you, yeah. you, I mean, Dirk's correct. I mean, dude. I mean, I, I'll, I'll. I will ditto everything, but I, you, I'm, I'm going to say you're being generous. I, I know mine. So my camera, when I'm filming, I've got, my camera has two, 256 gig SD cards in it. Each one of those will handle, depending on whether, what format, but most of the time I'm planning on six hours or so of, of video on each one. So I could be, t- I could literally film for 12 hours there are some days and multiple days where I'm literally filling both of those cards and then coming back at night, downloading it into a hard drive and then, or flipping out the cards and going back out again. Yeah. And you take, you know, so your hunt was over, let's just say one experience on this one animal. You found him the night before and then you went in the next day and you worked him the next day and then you finally caught up to him that evening. You might have lit legitimately 12 hours of content and man is there some really good stuff in there how the heck do you do you take now on my website you you folks know that i'll have an hour-long video geez oh pete there's there's four more hours of stuff that's got to hit the 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 cutting room floor i've got one that i I call it the four hour call and it took me four solid hours of play working active working this animal to get him 15 yards broadside i can't show four hours no one's nope. gonna sit there for four hours and watch that well well, well I, let me correct you i actually would but i am a rare <laughs> i actually would so, so there's okay. one of you out yeah, there one of me so, it's worth it but, right i mean i'll give you a like on youtube there's so yeah. much there's so much that hits the 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 editing floor that yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it became social media made this a cliche, but never judge your behind the scenes yeah. with yeah. someone else's highlight reel. Well, you yeah, know yeah. of all the grind that you're doing, but you only see other people's highlights. That grind, that all that turmoil, the crap that went through, that all happened on their hunt too. So it just all of a sudden the, the stars aligned and that little magic spark happened and, and ooh, we had a success here. But don't underestimate the grind and the crap that all went into the rest of it as well. 
Ho, ho, ho. You guys thinking about getting some hunting gear for Christmas, whether it's for you, where you're going to be your own Santa Claus, or are you? do you have a hunter in mind that you want to get some hunting gear for? Well, let me just tell you a couple of sponsors that we have here on the show that will save you a little bit of money. And the first one being Hoffman Boots. My favorite go-to boot company out there is Hoffman. And let me tell you something. You are not chintzing out by getting you a set of Hoffman boots. I run the Explorers in the 8-inch. You can also get the 6-inch. You can get the uh, the Summit boots, which are really badass. And these boots, I, I've trusted these boots for years. This is not some new thing for me. I love my Hoffman boots. I've had all the big-name brands of boots out there, and I can promise you that I will never buy anything but Hoffman again, save you a little bit of money because the Hoffmans aren't quite as expensive, but yet don't let that take away from the quality of these boots. They will last a long time and they are worth every cent. And to make it even sweeter for you this holiday season, if you use the promo code HUNTSMAN15, all caps lock, that's going to save you 15% at checkout. Great boots, great warranty, great product. Check it out at hoppinboots.com. Moving right into the scree gear. Guys, you know I've run scree gear for, for a while now. If you listen to this show, I'm a big fan of scree. This is high-performance hunting attire and gear. It's scientifically tested camo patterns, and it's backed by a great company. They named the company after scree rock, and they changed the spelling on it. You know you know that, that shell rock kind of stuff you find at the bottom of base cliffs? That's where they got the name, and it's a Western hunting company. And here's what's cool right now. So they're, they've got two patterns, and one of their patterns is called the Mountain Stealth, and that pattern is getting discontinued, much to my dismay, because that's what I run. I like the Mountain Stealth. It's, it's a lot better for most of the terrain that I hunt in, but they are having a, uh, they're doing away with it. So they've got a huge deal going on. It's like 30% off of the Mountain Stealth Scree Gear. So if, if you have the inclination to get re-outfitted for new camo for next year, go to ScreeGear.com and check out anything in the Mountain Stealth. I highly recommend the Elite Starter Bundle. It's probably the best bang for your buck. And if you get it in the Mountain Stealth, I think it's that's going to run to like the last day of September. I've got September on my mind. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> last day of December. Uh, that 30% off is going to be taking place. So go check it out at ScreeDirt.com. Now, if you do use the Mountain Stealth, that is going to be a better discount than what my promo code can offer you. But I, I would ask, please mention in the comments somewhere that you did hear that at the Western Huntsman uh, on the show. Uh, I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart when you do that. Uh, and, and if you're not using that and you need a promo code because you're going to get the other stuff, then use promo code the Western Huntsman, and that's going to save you 15% off and free shipping. It's a great deal, and uh, you're going to love your Scree gear. Last but not least is Phelps Game Calls. Phelps Game Calls is the go-to call company for the Western Huntsman, whether we're talking deer, bear, and especially elk. Phelps Game Call... They, those calls have put down more elk than the plague. And you guys, if, if you follow along with the the whole brand of Phelps, it's a wonderful company story filled with great people. They do excellent products, excellent customer service, great warranties, great company. You, you just can't go wrong. Go to phelps.com, use promo code Huntsman10 and save 10% off your Phelps calls uh, Phelps calls for uh, next season. It's coming up. I know. We, we're... We're in Christmas right now. It's Christmas, but September's going to be here before you know it. So go check it out at phelps.com. Let's get back to the episode, guys. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good well, point, man. People don't want to watch a grind. They don't want to watch a grind, man. They Correct. They, <laughs> they want to watch. They, they want to watch arrows flying, man. That, that's. They want yeah. to see the juice, man, and that so that twelve hours ends up turning into uh, between five and ten minutes of actual video. One of the and most frustrating it, videos that, like you're talking about, they they don't want to see the the grind. And one of the most frustrating videos was uh, this dude named Dirk Durham. <laughs> <laughs> He calls he calls in this bull. Which video? On his on his YouTube series from last year, he calls in this bull, uh, and I get it. He's not he wasn't a monster, but I mean I would have shot him. (laughs) I I wouldn't have had any any qualms. It's like his first day out, and this bull comes in, and he just he's got his arrow back when he's using a mouth, you know, the mouth uh, release. Is that what that 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 was a yeah Yeah. the pull tab. Pull tab. Yeah, I, I so want to see that, man. I still oh, I want to see that. that you got to watch that. He oh, calls man. in this bull. He's got it dead right. This this bull's right in front of him, just screaming his head off. And Dirk like lets the bow down, and the bull is getting a little bit suspicious. He's like, "What was that? I some dudes over there with a pull tab, and I, I'm pretty sure of it. But I'm gonna kind of wander around here and bugle. And 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 Dirk calls him in like three different times, and then passes on him. And guys like me don't pass on bulls. You know what I mean? Uh, because, yeah, uh, yeah, well, I'm just I'm just not super good at elk hunting. Uh, I'm hoping you guys are going to learn a little bit from me, but I'm, I'm just not that good at elk hunting, especially I, Chris. Yeah. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that 2020 spanked me. So let's just move on. <laughs> no, but it, it does. It does go to it does. I'm, I'm making jokes and stuff, but it speaks to like the, this. This is a this is an art and this is a skill that people develop over years. And you guys have honed this art and the skill uh, so well that you you have this luxury sometimes where you know you have several days ahead of you, you're in good elk country, you know you're gonna find more elk and you're gonna you're gonna call in these bulls and it, it made for a great video, man. And even the cameraman was upset. He fessed up about how upset he was at Dirk uh, after that on on one of his little behind the scenes video that Dirk didn't know he was taking. Um, but that's entertaining stuff, right? That that is entertaining stuff for people to watch. And and but that the 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 part that needs to be highlighted that what Joe was talking about is, is how much time and effort goes into making these, these, uh, some of these videos are 20 minutes. Some of these videos are 40 minutes. Some of them are an hour and, and it's so much work. And, and like that expectation level that Joe was talking about where people are coming from back East and they think, Oh man, I'm going to go out and, and 20 minutes from the truck, I'm going to call in a big bugling bull. He's going to be blowing snot and eyes rolling back in his head and, and, and I'm going to stick an arrow in him and we're going to pack him out. It's going to be great. And so I, I think there is that, that element to it that, that maybe mis misleads people to what the real, or, or I guess the reality of elk hunting truly is. Um, Chris, what, like for, for, from your perspective, I asked Joe this, what, what do elk hunters mess up the most? What, what is like their biggest mistake? And that one's, that one is a little bit more difficult for me because there's some things that they do. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Uh, you've got stuff that they do before an animal's there. And then they've got stuff that they can do when the animal is there. I, I will say that, um, and I've talked about this before. I really think that one of the things that just crucifies folks success is their lack of confidence in 
knowing what they are doing and why to, and, and, and the reason why I say that is that translates into confidence in their calling setups and their strategies and letting the setup work. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have been either with folks or even in the early days for me, um, I would sit up on on an animal, start calling, start working them or whatever. They're working their way to me. All of a sudden they go quiet or they just stall. And I think, oh, something must have happened. Oh, I must have spooked them. Oh, they must have smelled me. Oh, they must. All these, all these things start going in your head because in your mind, when the, in the heat of the moment there, for a lot of people, everything, all of a sudden, it just seems like everything, five seconds feels like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so we, and now, now, now I need to, why, why isn't he here? Uh, he should be here. I, I, he needs to hear, uh, I need to move. I, I need to adjust. Hold on, hold on. If that animal was 300 yards away, he bugled at you. You moved up a hundred yards and you checked in with him again. And now, you know, he's like right there. He was moving to you while you were moving. Right. And so if he's interested and the wind is right, you've been calling, he's been responding to your calling. He's been moving your way. Now we could talk about setups, but if your setup is right, or if you even have a decent setup, do not panic and just automatically think that, oh, something got screwed up. I need to move. No, just let it play out for a minute. Give it a few minutes, several minutes, 30 minutes. Okay. I can't let, tell let me you the stop. number of times. Go ahead. Let, let me stop you for just a minute on that point, because that that is something that I really noticed this last season with a lot of hunters in this particular unit that I was hunting that was super crowded. Do you guys, and, and and Chris, you answer first, but I want to hear everybody's response to this. Do you guys, is it in your mind that you are calling to an elk and when he's responding, you move to him or do you call the bull to you? Does that make sense how I ask that? Yeah, yes, absolutely. A, 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 the, the question makes sense and the answer is yes. On both, <laughs> so, on both, and I. The reason I ask that is because uh, I called in a bunch of hunters this year. I called in a ton of hunters. Like they, they just uh-huh. came right to me, and uh, I feel like they were just moving too much. But I could be wrong. You know, you guys you are the okay, experts. So, so talk about it. Number one, kudos to you that you sound good enough that you were fooling people, and that's not. I'm not joking. I'm, I'm kind of like because- I'm kind of like the Charlie Daniels of bugling, if we're being honest. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to see that beard. I'm gonna have to see that. I'm beard totally again. kidding. I'm totally kidding. Okay, go ahead, Chris. So, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on distance. It depends on terrain. It depends on how eager that animal is. There's been play. I mean, literally, I, I could show you down in Arizona where we're literally sitting on a knob, and I'm calling bulls up to us 15 yards away from legitimately half a mile away. These things are fired up and all I need to do is just sit there and just crank the calls and let them just come. There's other times where you literally, he, you got a herd bull. He's in thick cover with his cows. He's going nowhere. So uh-huh. you might have to get yourself, you 
have to get close to them to make something happen. So you're going to have to take the temperature of the animal you're dealing with. But by all means, if you're calling and you can hear them coming to you, why change the, in my opinion, why change the recipe that he's, if he's responding, he's coming and you, this gives you time to make sure your setup is good. Let him come. If he's, and I say him, most of it. Okay. Let's just say this right now. A lot of us love, we, we, the vast majority of people are going after bulls, but the same thing yeah. goes with cows. If you're cow hunting and you're calling, same thing goes. If they're responding and they're moving your way, same thing goes. But I'm going to default to bulls because that's what I hunt most. Yeah, let, let, let's so, we'll, we'll just put that under uh, under the guise of we're talking mainly bull calling in bull elk. Sure, sure. So if he, if they're working, in my opinion, if they're working to you, then you make sure your setup is good. You make sure you got that continuity. You make sure you just keep feeding him what he wants. And let him come. If he stalls and he's out there and you can tell that he's just not going to cut loose from wherever it is he is, then okay, fine. Then I'm going to, if I can strategically do so, I'm going to work and I'm going to move forward. But this is where it ties into what I was just saying. There are some times where the terrain or the habitat, if I'm down in Arizona in the big ponderosas, that's open, open habitat. They can see a couple hundred yards through a lot of that timber. So there are times where he's hung up. I, it's not, it, I, the temptation is for me to move. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to move if I know I can do so under cover without being seen. But or there are so, yeah. correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many times where if people would just say, okay, listen, he is interested. He is responding. He's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. Okay. Yeah. I can't, and under good strategic considerations, I am at a disadvantage if I move. Okay. Then just slow it down and just let that bull come. Just, it might but, take him an hour to work his way to you, but just let him come. The, but see, I that's see the problem, so Chris. I, I think what Jim is saying, though, is that. He's talking about the fact that there's other a lot of hunters in the area that he's calling in. And so his concern sure. is, is that it, is somebody else going to jump in on his setup if he sits back in that hour, you know, waiting for that animal to come in because yeah, he's going to come in. Correct. And, 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 I, and I will and I will absolutely. I will absolutely. Yeah, I, I, was, I will absolutely. Act, I, I will. I will give you every ounce of that consideration. You're right. I, and I will take this criticism. I, I will make this criticism of myself. I know I am a more conservative-minded hunter, and I will, I, I will, I, if I have a fault, I am not aggressive enough sometimes. But the problem is, the problem is, is sometimes people think they need to be aggressive when they actually don't. And that aggressiveness ends up, you bump them, you spook and, them, they see yeah. you or whatever. And then now they've, you've blown that setup and now you've altered that individual or that group. You've altered their behavior. Now they, they know that there's danger. They're going to flee from that situation. And now you've got to let that entire thing reset and hope to get back on them. Gotcha. I, my, my, and I will say if some people will see this as a criticism, they will say I'm not aggressive enough and I didn't make something happen. Whereas my argument in my mind and what I will respond to them is, 
okay, if I, if I always assume someone else is going to screw it up, then what I end up doing is by default, in my, my experience, I end up being the guy that screws them up. Whereas if I just let the thing play out, oftentimes if it doesn't work or all of a sudden I hear other hunters coming up the hill, fine, I'm done. I'll shut up. I'll move out. I'll just let it all just, just let it dissolve into nothing. Because if I can See, just I'm let it dissolve and more, go away, I'm a little more I would rather come back man. at I them. I flat out call them in. <laughs> there you go. That's why. Yeah, there you go. I, I, there you go. I, I call them in, and and it's only because it's uh, you know I I got a lot of I I, my, I it's really important to me to have fun on the mountain, and I get a yes, I get a big I kick out of seeing that that look of disappointment when they come through the brush and and it's just that some dude standing there and in a half gray beard calling them in, but <laughs> that you know they they that my question I think it also like and and again I want to get everybody's take on this, but like. You know, they, they sometimes these hunters when when they get a response and it's me, so I'm noticing, I'm watching the situation, I'm learning, and a lot of times I'm trying to figure out is that a bull or is that a hunter, and and they come they come in so fast they it's like a teenager yes. at prom, you know what I mean? They're yes. they're so yes. so fast, and and I'm and just depending curious. on the time of year. Yeah, I mean that just depends. I mean if you're early season and they're in that buddy buddy mode, some of them just mosey forever before they get there in elk time. You All know, right. I mean, yeah, now, yeah, very true. Now, now you're you're when they're hot and heavy and and you know and you've got good bull to cow ratio and they're aggressive. That's a whole different ball game. And you know All when right. what Chris was talking about there, you know that half mile deal. Like me, I'm very ultra aggressive, and I'm one of those guys that Chris is talking about that. Sometimes I end up blowing things up trying to get into a situation. It's a fine, fine line. But if, if that critter's coming at a half mile and he's coming across uh, an open area where I see that he's coming and coming over to the trees, that's a whole different deal. But if I have one when I talk and he sounds off and he's a half mile away, I don't say another word, but I'm cutting the distance like crazy, man. I want that Absolutely. 200 yards. I, I, I want that 300 yards, but I'm, I'm taking in information as I'm doing that. It's not just helter skelter and then looking to blow in up as i'm moving man i mean everything is tuned in do i get another noise do i get another sound do i hear a cow call is there something that's going to you know let me know that that bull's coming into me and hopefully he's going to talk as he's doing that if he did an answer depending on what he answered that's going to give me more information that's the whole key is the more information but when i have those guys that are far away uh, like that where i hunt um i do not want to be back a half mile away from him screaming because I attract too much attention. And I know I do because I've seen it. I've seen it happen. You know, like what you're talking about. If I was in a yeah. situation where it's midday and I'm midday and, uh, and I have an animal that sounds off in the trees and I'm doing what I call a, a, a static setup. Cause I, I think there's dynamic and static setups. You got those ones that are just like, you know, dynamic as when we're moving in and things change constantly. Your all your information is changing. Your mind is changing. Your strategy is changing all because of wind, because of animal, because of reaction, because of sounds. But when I have that midday thing and I get a bull to sound off and he's a half mile there and I've got everything set up in my static setup, I'm exactly what Chris is talking about, man, because I don't have to worry about another hunter coming in in that setup because nobody's out in the middle of the day. 
<laughs> they're, ah, that's they're awesome. All backing, yeah, yeah, you're you're, you're exactly right. I noticed that too. I'm the only hunter on the manor on the mountain from like ten to two o'clock, and, and I love it. <laughs> what about you, Derek? You got you got something to throw in on that one? The, the you know, well, do you? Well, I'd like to uh, quote uh, the late great Kenny Rogers. And uh, you, you got to know when to hold them, and you got to know when to hold them. Yeah. Right. Okay. I want to hear you. I actually want to hear you sing that. I'll, yeah, I want to hear the tune. Yeah, hear the tune. warm summer's eve. God, yeah, you guys, you, you didn't do it. <laughs> we were both too tired to sleep. Oh man, I like. Can you believe 2020 uh, took Kenny Rogers from us? I'm I'm upset I about know. it. Anyway, I I, I, I can't. 2020 okay can just. It. Yeah, no. 2020 can. I was gonna say flat out go to hell. I was gonna say Dirk. I was gonna say Dirk. I'll be your Dolly Parton to your Kenny Rogers. Go. <laughs> You're gonna have to work you, on that a little bit. And he has the hair for it. He does <laughs> yeah. have the hair for it. Talking you. about my voice, Dirk. I'm talking about my voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, you know what? You guys are both right. I have to agree with with Chris and Joe both. Um, but it's that reading that and 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 Chris said it reading that temperature of the elk. Mm-hmm. There, there's sometimes and then terrain too. There's sometimes um, there's some really difficult terrain maybe, and it's like eh, maybe I don't want to walk over there, right? So maybe I'm gonna slow play the slow play this a little bit and just see if that bull will come my way before I invest a bunch of time like crossing some nasty nasty stuff to go to him. Maybe I can bring him over to me. Um, I'll kind of slow play that. Um, or maybe let's say he's in a pretty good spot over there, but he just doesn't sound that interested. Okay, well, I'm going to mark him and I'm going to go right to him. Now, let's say that thing is ripping bugles and eating up everything I have to say. And, uh, and he's not super far away. You know, let's say he's, you know, a few hundred yards away. Um, and he seems to be coming my way. I, I'm like Chris. I'm going to keep feeding, feeding him whatever it is that that he's responding to. Um, so I think I think the one real well one big problem for a lot of new hunters is um, and kind of and this kind of goes about what Joe said. You know, they don't have an ex, enough experience or enough reps in the woods and enough interactions with the elk to know if they're doing it right. They may be going out and hunting and doing everything perfectly, but maybe they're hunting in a place there's no elk or there's there's very little elk. Um, And so they think they might be doing it wrong when they're probably doing it right. They just need to change locations. And uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes for for, uh, a lot of hunters is, is they give up. You know, right. they, mm, they, they may one. be doing things right, but they haven't allowed that, that, like Chris said, they haven't allowed their, their techniques or tactics to work. Um, they don't know if, if what they're doing is right or wrong. And cause they haven't had that interaction with an elk to, to prove it. And then they just say, you know what? I go home or, uh, I'm not, I'm going to quit doing this tactic, whatever that tactic is. Uh, this doesn't work. So then they kind of default back to whatever they feel comfortable with is, you know, you know, whether that's spot and stock or sitting on a water hole or whatever, which are all viable means to kill an elk. But I feel like it, it really, sometimes people really kind of give up or kind of, kind of um, just kind of shoot themselves in the foot just by not knowing 
if their tactics are working or not. And some people get kind of stuck in that rut of, well, there was elk here this summer and I know the elk are going to be here and I'm just going to keep hunting that same spot and they don't right. leave that spot. So if they do, maybe they, maybe they don't give up, but they just continue hitting that same old spot again, hoping that the elk will magically appear instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to get the hell out of here and go find somewhere where there are elk that bugle. Um, yeah. And that's, and for me, that's so, been like the big, all the difference is relocation and finding elk that will bugle. I, I got a question on that, on that point for you guys. Like, and this is, this is coming from like a genuine place in terms of elk hunters that are, uh, you know, more, more mediocre level like me, right? For, uh, let's, let's put it the average. We're not elk slayers, you know, that tag out one to five times a year. Um, when you bump an elk, okay. You're like, you were just talking, uh, you, you, you got to find the elk. If it, it don't fall in love with one just spot because you think there's elk there because you saw one two months ago or last season or, you know, whatever the case is. But let's say you are in an area where you, where you, you have found elk, you're getting responses and, uh, maybe you don't have the proper setup or maybe you move wrong or the wind shifts and you bump some elk. How long is that area dead for once you bump those elk out of there? Uh, I think that's situational as far as geography a lot of times, like, uh, depends on how, how big the country is and what, what it looks like and where they went. Um, and what resources are there? You know, their food, their water. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, how, how much experience they have with human disturbance on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Good one. You you know, some of the areas that I find that, you know, because most people, they, they pay attention to where the food is, where the water is, where the bedding areas are. And I think a lot of times one of the huge areas that, that we miss are, are those transition areas, those corridors, those areas between there that they constantly, I mean, they might bed in a different place up on the same ridge or within a half mile or even a mile on that same ridge. But a lot of times they use those same corridors that they understand to get from point A to point B on that. So, uh, you know, they're, they're going to move around in different areas. If, if, if they're catching enough scent in an area, it's going to push them a little bit. But one thing that I have found is there's a difference between high use and low use areas. And w- what I mean by that is there's some areas like you take Colorado, for for example. I mean, all these guys, everybody goes to get way up high in Colorado thinking that there's some place where people never go. And so these animals are going to be, you know, uh, undisturbed. Well, Colorado is one of the <laughs> highest usage states that there is for hikers, bikers, travelers, all of that. So Hippies. a lot of these elk, <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, don't talk about me like that, man. Who said that? <laughs> who, who just said hippie? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, a lot of these animals, these elk are used to, I mean, look at Estes Park, look at all the videos that we see and all these uh, elk in towns and within housing areas or they come down around farms and around houses. They're they're used to human scent, so uh, especially in high use areas. So it's not necessarily that when you bump them or that they smell you, they're just going to blow them out of an area. What really freaks them out is when they smell you 30 yards away from them and they didn't know you were there. So that kind of has little impact, but I guarantee you most bulls that I have called in or that I've worked in the area that I hunt 
have probably already been bumped by hunters multiple times during that week. Yes. And, you know, so, uh, <laughs> it, that, it's, it's really hard. That's really interesting. All, all of that is really interesting because that, the I guess I, I had that question formulated in my mind because the, the going back to where I told you guys where I stuck that bull this last season and never found him, whatever. I actually called that bull in like three different times before I finally got an arrow in him over a uh, seven day period. And he never moved really that him, far. I so, called him interesting. one bull, Jim. I called him one bull four days straight, shoot him away three times, shoot him. And still caught him in and finally killed him on the fourth day because I got so frustrated with him. <laughs> he deserved it, right? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> he, he was probably a Britney Spears fan. But is that why is that why that elk farm got mad at you and and <laughs> well, I, and I tried to cover the camera as I was going by it there for you okay so it was it was it was Ernie's elk zoo in New Mexico I think I, I don't think it was the issue of the elk I think it's when you cut their fence I think that's just that they were just upset about the fence <laughs> that's what it was okay. so Jim uh, one thing that I'll I'll say so this year I've done a lot more this year and then last, yeah, I've done it in the past a little bit, but let's say we spooked a bull, whether he saw us when we went, we got him in close. We, he saw, he saw the shooter or saw the collar or maybe caught a whiff the, you know, we get that little swirl of a wind. Um, we kind of started doing this this year. A lot more was we just kind of sat down right there, wherever we got, wherever we, we spooked him, we just sat down for a minute, yeah. for 30 minutes or an hour. And just to kind of see what developed. And a lot of times, an hour later, that thing starts bugling again on his own. Or I'll start bugling. Exactly. Maybe we'll we'll move position a little bit and start bugling. And then, boom, it's like game on again. And I always wonder when we <laughs> when a, when a bull smells you, I always wonder, does he, does he think that's a hunter trying to call me in? Or does he think... Oh man, I was trying to fight this other elk, and all of a sudden, some dude walks up. Yeah, that's funny. I, mean, <laughs> I wonder that same thing. Like, what do they think? Is that is that like okay that that elk up there that's bugling? That's where that wind's coming from, man. He's screwed. I'm getting out of here. He's on his own. Every man for himself. Or, or do they think that smell is where that bugle is coming from? I always wonder that, and it's so hard yeah. to know. Chris, you're the you're the behavioralist. Like, what do you think about that? I think it can go both ways. I, I, I agree with Dirk wholeheartedly. I'm what, glad to hear if, that. Yeah. What if Chris, what if Chris, the, the elk, you're, you're in a bugle match with the elk and he comes through the brush and you're standing there and maybe you didn't have your, your bow drawn. So you draw the bow and he sees you draw the bow and, and takes off down the mountain. Uh, do you think he relates the sound that he heard to you drawing your bowl? Or, no. or I'm sorry, drawn your bow. Sorry, I misspoke. No, I I got you. No, I I pro I don't think that's going to be the case because he's because quite honestly, my mind. If you think about that scenario, you let's just say you you if you're going to be bugling and you're he's bugling at you, you're going back and forth. You bugle, he's responding, he's coming in. At some point, you're going to drop that bugle. You're going to get your arrow knocked. Your release on the string. You're going to start ranging stuff. You're going to get ready and you're going to get ready to draw your bow. And that bull finally comes in. So there is a moment in time, whether it's 30 seconds or three minutes, whatever, 
there is a moment of time where that bull is not hearing a bugle. Mm, He's responding to the bugle he just heard a moment ago, but he doesn't know what's going on between that last moment of hearing that bull and when he's walking in. And to uh, Dirk's point of, you know, all of us, he starts bugle later. Yeah, Yeah, he comes in and sees motion that he doesn't know about. He's like, what the hell is that? That seems wrong. He bolts out of there sometimes. Yeah, no, they can just bolt and leave. This is this is where, in my opinion, I do not call after that. But like right then and there, you'll hear people mew, 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 yeah, or yeah. they'll bugle right away. No, mm-hmm. I don't. Me personally, I don't normally do that. If if the elk specifically, you, that that's what you're saying. Yeah. If if the elk busts you, you shut up. I just let just let him go. I don't want to confirm that I'm the sound he was listening to and that there's danger right there. If he just saw danger and spooked from danger, if I truly was an elk that he was responding to, well, obviously the other elk would probably be disturbed by that danger. I'm just going to let them settle down. But sometimes, sometimes if they're in the heavy pressured area, I, again, I've got a YouTube video of my own on it where we bumped this group of elk two, three times, maybe four times. Mm-hmm. Softly, not nothing, nothing major. And then the bull comes in. I make a horrible shot. I miss him. He goes off. I see him. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay, I'm done. And I literally go over to get my arrow and I completely forgot about the bull's cows. Those cows see me. And it was like, you could just see in their, their entire attitude and disposition. They're like, that's it. We're done. We're out of here. And mm-hmm. they literally, and this was an alpine bull, and so it was the beautiful part about me being able to film it. They just left the entire valley. They left the region. They're like, screw <laughs> a bunch of this. We're done. And they just left. So it depends on the animal that you're dealing with and how many times they have had that encounter and that experience. I responded to an elk sound. There was a hu- There was danger. I responded to another elk sound. Oh, there's shit. There's danger. I responded to another elk sound. There's more danger. Screw a bunch of this. I'm out. Versus I I responded uh, elk sound. Oh, crap. There's danger. I run away and I'm like, well, shoot. That's never happened before. Well, I don't know what that was about. Ah, screw it. Where, who else is out here? And they go back to doing whatever they're doing. So they just kind of go back to it. And so that, uh, what, okay. You guys, you guys trigger my, uh, my, you know, ADD. My, yeah, ADD, all that kind of stuff that uh, I'm famous for. But uh, so when, when you, when you're talking about a bull or, or elk, you know, whether we're, we're cow hunting or bull hunting and, and you just, like you were talking about the two different levels of spooking them, right? You, you, the one that is just kind of uncomfortable and leaves and versus the one that like physically saw you like one time this last season, I stepped, you know, around a tree, big old drop time bull, 20 yards from me. We make eye contact. And that dude ended up in uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. By the time, <laughs> you know, I, I know he left. I'm talking about the ones that you just slightly make uncomfortable, whether it's visual or they smell something or they hear something that they don't like. And 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 this is how Dirk got that bull in New Mexico is I, I kind of did that to a bull up here in North Idaho 
and he ended up in New Mexico and, and right in front of Dirk. And so um, <laughs> that, that's, I guess, what my question is. How far do these guys run? How far do they go when you just make them uncomfortable and they leave? Are they going miles? Are they going a half oh, a mile? No. Are they going – how far do you think it, they're going? It depends on how thick the area is yeah. uh, from what I've seen. You know, I mean, uh, I have actually seen bulls get spooked. I have watched bulls get spooked and only go 300 yards, stop up where they could view – where they're up on that about two thirds on a ridge or up on the ridge where they can look back mm-hmm. and, and yeah. And, and just wait it out to see watching their back trail and to see what happens. There's a lot. Uh, yeah. I'll give you another example. Um, what Chris was talking about, how you don't scream or bugle where I I've done just the opposite. And that's like, if I'm working in on a bull and I have a, a whole bunch of elk in an area and all of a sudden a satellite, how many times have you had tunnel vision and a satellite bull is right off to your left or right. And that bull starts to booger and go towards the herd. And it's like, Oh man, everything's going to get blown up now. And that's a fair point. That's a fair yeah, point. And, and what I've done in that situation, man, is I sounded like the I, I put the biggest, gnarliest scream like I was the one that was another bull that caused that bull to run off like that. And when the other elk see that and connect that me, that big bull with that one running off, I paint that picture that, you know, it was another elk that sent him off. And and I've had that work for me like that. So that's an example of that. But, you know. Yeah. I don't think they go. It depends on how thick it is. I mean, if, if there's a real open area where they can see that, they're just going to keep trucking until they get up on a ridge where they're secure or where they get in an area where they've got wind in their favor. Uh, it just depends. There's so many variables to that. But I've only seen them go sometimes two, 300 yards and stop and wait. Yep. I got one for you, Jim. I got one for you. So this fall, this last fall, 2020, I called in a bull for the shooter. The shooter shot, and he hit high and a little forward, hit this bull high in the scapula. Arrow didn't penetrate, about three or four inches. Bull runs off. Well, we're hunting the same spot the next day and get a bull bugling. And I'll be darned if it's not the same bull. I mean, you can recognize – you know how you can recognize their voice. You know, they bulls have a certain mm-hmm. way they bugle. So he's bugling. Yeah, they do. And we, this time we get him going and he's a little more call shy, bugle and run, bugle and run, bugle and run. Finally get him worked up and he kind of stands his ground and we get up close and we're under a hundred yards from this bull and get set up. Dusty can see the bull's antlers and I rip some big, the bull's screaming. I rip a big scream. I pick up a stick and beat the crap out of a tree with it. And when I, as soon as I started beating the crap out of that tree, that bull shut up and ran off. Well, rewind to the day before when that bull got hit, I was beating the crap out of a tree right at that very moment. Ah, I gotcha. I almost think that that bull might've associated that sound, that same old dry stick hitting a freaking another dry tree that he associated that with that pain or that moment in time, maybe. Um, but let's just say, you know, that bull was shot. He, he was, he was on the same ridge that he was on the day before, just on the other side of the ridge. So he just come know, back. He, yeah. 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 He, he was in his same, same home range, his same little, little areas, core area. He hadn't, he hadn't left. 
So, you know, I think sometimes it's just situational. Sometimes like, like Chris was saying, sometimes those things change zip codes and sometimes they just run over the hill a little ways, 100, 300, 400 yards. Yeah. 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 And I th- and I think another point that Chris made that was important though is you can spook a bull and he'll stick in the area. You spook those cows, the bulls are gone. <laughs> those cows yeah, he, are gone. Uh, man. Yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> well he was well behind those cows. You on the video you watch the cows are strung out hell, probably two hundred plus yards in front of this bull, and the bull is run is just he's just a nice canter, a nice gallop behind him, and you can tell his disposition is like, Where are we going? He's yep. just like, okay, I, this is my guess where we're going. In the meanwhile, the cows are like, that ah, we're done. Now, <laughs> hey, Dirk, Dirk, if you if you if you don't mind, you you want me to tell you why? Let me no no no. I'd love rephrase. to you, let me let me let me rephrase my my statement. I can lend some scientific credibility to your observation on why that might have happened. Oh, give us a juice, Chris. Oh, give us a juice. I like it. We're getting because, deep. Because there is, in in layman's terms, there is uh, there is scientific evidence to support the fact that if you encounter a situation and your emotions and or your adrenaline stay at nominative levels or low levels, you can experience a situation, whether it's traumatic or it's happy, whether it's sad, it doesn't matter. Um, and your brain will register that and you may or may not remember it. Maybe sometimes a neutral experience will take you two or three times of experiencing it in order for it to become a hard, fast memory to where your brain is hardwired to say, oh, I recognize this scenario and this is what it means, or this is what I should do. Whereas, if your adrenaline spikes, there is hormonally that experience. If if you have an experience that will spike your adrenaline, oftentimes you will encode that experience in your brain, and it will become hardwired right now, and it becomes codified into your experience because of the interaction of the hormones coursing through their body. So that bull yeah. heard the, if, if he was responding to the, you raking on the, on those, that, that tree and he, that was part of the experience he was responding to. And then all of a sudden he just got smacked with this hard, sharp pain in the shoulder I don't know if he saw you. I don't know if he heard you guys. I don't know if he smelled you guys or or if you tried to follow up or moved or he heard you after whatever. But if that spiked his adrenaline, you're darn right that that all of a sudden that experience could have absolutely been just seared in his brain and his memory and experiences to where the next time he heard that, he's like, screw a bunch of this. Yeah, I remember exactly what happened last time. So yeah, no, there's there's absolutely a physiological response that could be a reason for your subsequent encounter. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Just like like when you hear that old, just like when you hear that same old song from prom night, nineteen eighty seven, Chris. 
and uh, you still get you get that old time loving feeling again. <laughs> hey, wait, you know, now, there. Sorry, I think I was gonna say, Chris, Chris, I graduated in 1990. How old are you? <laughs> oh, I thought you were in '87. You know what? I was struggling with it at first, and Dirk, that made total sense, and I'm right there now. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to remember, just, be, just be, Uncle just Uncle Joe graduated is, in like 1950. <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty sure. Just because I was gonna say, just because my beard is distinguished with highlights of its own, doesn't mean I'm that old. I'm not. I'm not Joe old. Come on. Do you, Chris? I, the question I have for Chris is like, when you use just for men in your beard, does that help with the camouflage? Uh, and the perception, like the depth perception, it's, I think, it's, I, I it's feel like there's something no, there. no, 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 it's not the camouflage. I use it like wind jammer for their oh, scent. Yeah. I, it completely yeah. confuses their sense of scent. And quite honestly, the ladies are quite enamored. And if I can bring the ladies in, the bulls just follow. So, Absolutely, okay. man. You, you, you know, know what? this this whole conversation all the time about bulls, 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 and Chris hit it right on the head, man. It's all about the gals. It's okay. Correct. That that brings me that brings me to a pretty saucy question I've been thinking about because of of uh, some of the dynamics I know about the three of you. What <laughs> what uh, what what about? Okay, Chris. <laughs> oh dear. Are you cow calling to these bulls? Or are you gonna bugle to them? And don't give me them. Well, it's situational, Jim. I don't know. Why you like, come you know, on. You know, you know darn well that you know darn well the answer to that question. Because I, I do. I, I will absolutely use bugles to, to you know, every calls quote unquote locate. I will use bugles when the situation is right. But you're absolutely right. I am. I'm the kind of one of the few odd men out uh, as far as I do lean heavy on cow vocalizations because my calling style is one that I try to play to the base level communication of elk. And the base level communication is what we typically call quote unquote cow vocalizations. And I say air quotes around cow because a bull calf, a year and a half old bull that's in with a cow calf group, he's going to use and understand all the same muse, chirps, lost muse, assembly muse, whines. All of those are going to be standard vocalizations that he hears 365 days a year for at least the first year and a half of his life before he finally gets kicked out and, and pushed out on his own. Um, I'm, I'm not detracting from bull vocalization strategies in some places in Southern Colorado. I that's, that's what I use. I killed the very biggest bull I've ever killed in my life, bugling him in. But the vast majority of times to start my encounter. No, no, no. Can't say that. I will oftentimes give what I call a contact bugle, a level one contact bugle. We'll start high, fall off low to quote unquote locate, just to, to make, just get somebody to respond. And if he responds and I can pinpoint his location, I will move to where I think I'm within 150 to 200 yards of that animal. 
And oftentimes, that is when 99% of the time, I'm going to switch to a cow calling strategy. I'm going to use a targeted strategy most of the time. I'm going to appeal to that base level communication first and then work my way up. So I am, I'm a little different oh, than other guys. Okay. So lover, you're, you're more on the lover, not a fighter kind of, kind of side. Correct. And, well, and, and, it, and it's uh, legitimate. I, I'm not here to say anybody's right or wrong because uh, you guys all kill crazy amounts of bulls. So, um, so that, that's, uh, that, and I, I already knew that about you, Chris. And so I know you did. That's right. Kabang. No, I don't. I, and I'll, I and never, I'll say, I, what am I seeing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're not that good looking. Um, <laughs> no, it, what, what you're I, honest. Is, correct. It, well, yeah. So the lover fighter thing, you're it's, there's a, there's a, there's an element of truth in there. I, I do not go, I do not default to a more aggressive strategy, but my, my convert conversation is not geared towards those that are necessarily a lover. What I'm doing is I'm just speaking to the individual and telling them exactly what they, what I want them to do on a new, I, you, you and I, I think we talked about it and I shared this, I think with also the L collective and on my stuff is yeah, I want to come in neutral. I, I don't, I actually tell people, disregard testosterone, forget testosterone, screw it. It's a wild card. I'm going to go under the, I'm going to go under testosterone and I'm going to go to the base Base level level. communication that they're hardwired to respond to. Now that can mean I'm talking to a bull that's generally more of a lover. That might actually mean I'm talking to a bull that's a little bit more of a fighter, but both of those scenarios, that base level communication is what they understand. Now, their individual disposition and who they're with and where they are in the pecking order and whether or not they've been, you know, but all those, all those little nuances later on, like we talked about, you know, taking the test, you know, temperature of the, of the bull that you're with, mm-hmm. I can start at that base level. And if the base level doesn't perform, I can always move up into a more aggressive or more intensive Absolutely. scenario. Okay. Well, that, but, that makes sense. It's, it, so it's kind of like, yeah. So it, it's, it's not yeah. exactly, it's not exactly Rocky and it's not exactly Debbie does Dallas. It's kind of right in between. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well what it, you have an what eclectic it does is, video set it, there, buddy. <laughs> what it does is it, you, it allows you to make changes, man. I mean, there you it, go. when you, when you, you start off with a, with a cow call first, and for me, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different because I always, I'm a near to far guy. So, and I'm I'm lover before fighter base as well because I want to set the tone and be able to have alternatives. Uh, so uh, when I say near to far, what I mean by that is when I'm working through the woods, you know, if I go and scream out a a, a call and and an animal's right there and I sound like I'm a lot closer than I am, I'm already creating a hang up situation possibly there, or I'm freaking them out. I, there's all kinds of things that I can do with that, and so I always like to give just a little mouth sweet cow call. Uh, get no response there. Then I might go grunt tube out with a cow call. I get nothing from it because a cow call is a location call as well. I get a lot of responses where I'm able to locate animals where they'll mew back to me, whether it is a bow call or, or a bull mew or whether it's a cow from a herd letting me locate them. But I'm exactly with what Chris says is when I do a cow call and I get a response 
now I have alternatives. If, if now I want to introduce a bull, but not introduce a bull that's in a challenging way, but maybe introduce a bull that's in a breeding sequence type way so that I'm not really, I'm not directing to the bull that has responded to me. I'm not engaging that bull. I'm having my own little scenario telling him, hey, you, you know, I'm busy here, guy. So I can, it gives me alternatives when I sit with a cow because they know that there's either a bull mewing there or there's a cow mewing there and it allows me to respond to how they respond. Just oh. a lot like what Chris is saying with that base layer. Gotcha. What about you, Dirk? What do you say? So I conduct an experiment every time. So this is an experiment of what are they going to answer to? And I'm with you guys. I'll start out. A lot of times it's just a really quiet cow call. Um, mm -hmm. Because if, you know, I hunt a lot of thick country, there may be an elk really close to me. And I don't want to like scare the bejeebies out of this thing. So I'm going to make a very yeah. quiet call to where if they're close by, they may vocalize or rustle the brush or something and then kind of give away their location. I'll let, wait a little bit. Then I'm going to vocalize a little louder this time with a louder cow call, whether it's just louder uh, without a tube or with a tube just to kind of broadcast it out depending on the area. If I haven't heard nothing then, then I'm going to do that kind of a location bugle like uh, like Chris Chris described, just kind of the high, low, high to low type, non-aggressive type call, um, and then kind of play it from there. But once I get make contact with a bull and he starts, uh, he starts picking up what I'm putting down, let's say he likes my bugles and my cow calls. Maybe he don't like my cow calls at all. There's, there's times in – in places I've hunted where bulls will not, they will not bugle at a cow call. I can't explain it. I don't know why there's not a lot of cows there. Maybe they're like, that's fake news that there's no cows here. Um, they don't believe it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but you know, there's low, a lot of times it's in areas that have low cow densities and they won't even answer a cow call. But I, I have a feeling you're talking about North Idaho with that one. Yeah. Yeah. That most of the time there, but but what I do is, as I'm as I'm building this rapport with this bull with bugles, anytime he answers, especially if we're not in that in that really thick of things where he's like cutting me off and I'm cutting him off. Let's say we're just kind of starting to let we've lit the match. Now we're kind of blowing on the fire a little bit, trying to just warm things up. Um, every time he answers, instead of me answering immediately with my bugle, I start answering with a cow cow calls. Just in. And I don't know what you call them. You know, Chris probably has an idea, but I'm going to have these these cow calls that are a lot more yearning. Like, hey, we like you. Come over here. This guy's a jerk. This is kind of what I'm in my mind is the, the picture I'm painting. This guy's a jerk. And get over here and save us. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. try to paint that picture to the bull. And then when he answers or then then, well, after I've after I've done those cow calls, I'll wait a little bit and then I'll bugle. But as things go along, when, once that bull starts answering my cow calls, then it's hammer time a lot of times. I'll, I'll start cutting him off like, hey, you don't talk to my ladies. Um, and about 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, You're but, like 60? You think 60? Uh, it's like 6% it's like of the time for me, fellas. So that's... <laughs> No, but, that's, that's but, great. Like, like the other guy said, you know, I, I start low. I don't, 
you know, there's there's some guys out there that will lead you to believe there are their teachings that like, okay, here's the deal. We we had a an elk bugle. Um, he's right over there. We're gonna close the gap. Get up play, close. We're we're gonna cow call, and as soon as he answers, we're gonna we're gonna step all over him. And 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 every time that he vocalizes, we're gonna step all over him. Um, with a, with, with a, a big challenge with a bugle. bugle with yeah. a challenge yeah. bugle yeah. yeah yeah and no patience yeah. that works sometimes yeah. um but that's not that's not the that's not the silver bullet i, I feel like there's no, never any silver bullets maybe you got a whole gun full of silver bullets but they all have a different name on them right and you never know which one's gonna <laughs> gonna be the one that's gonna kill right so yeah um absolutely. that's why i kind of like to do the experimentation of what kind of vocalization, what kind of elk sounds does he like to hear, and then kind of play upon that and let let him maybe escalate the situation. It seems like for me, if if I if I can kind of build the situation like that, rather than having it's more of a more of a um, uh, instead of having a reactive situation. Let's say we jumped an elk, a bull, and he cow call and he bugles, and he's just right right there. A lot of times that reactive situation, a lot of time, 90% of the time, we don't see that bull again or even call him in. But if we can start at a little bit of a dis distance and kind of slowly build this game up to where he's finally gets so pissed off. Number one, he's mad at me for saying all these mean things to him. And he knows there's girls over there to come fight for, then, then he'll come. So that's kind of the way I see it. But it's funny that it's different every time. I mean, I hate to sound cliche, but it's, there's bulls that that works good on, and there's bulls that, that don't work at all. And and uh, gosh, in New Mexico this year, uh, we spent seven days of of trying every single thing I've ever known or learned about elk, and <laughs> none of it worked. And until day eight, and then it's just like, oh, okay, I guess. Do elk New live? Elk. Do elk live <laughs> in New Mexico? I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard they do. <laughs> But without divulging too much, what part of New Mexico were you in there, Dirk? Um, he took a right. Were you north or south? He or took a right in part. Albuquerque. He told me that earlier. The mountain yeah. right in Albuquerque. I took a right at Albuquerque. Yeah, <laughs> it was mountainous. It was it was close to the Gila, so it wasn't. Oh, okay. It wasn't in All the right. Gila. It was right at the edge. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, um, but it finally one day the switch flipped and the elk started acting like normal elk. But I think there was a lot of different reasons why they weren't earlier, but. Um, Dirk's yeah. coordinates are going to be in the show notes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll a, never go yeah. back there, but I don't want to screw it up for the people who do like to do go out there. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to back up the whole thing, too, because we keep talking about, you know, these animals that, that, that they respond and, and and they give us a response back. And. You know, you keep going earlier in that season, you go the first part of that part of September. One of my favorite things to do is I'm just moving through and I'm cow calling, just sound like a little small chirp, some, you know, some little mews, just sound like a small herd moving through and have killed tons of elk coming in silently that way, yeah. you know, where they're not saying anything. So, uh, you know, it just a lot of those variables come in at different times. Yeah, very, very good point. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, that's so I, I, I this is going to be a hard question to ask, but it's on that point. Like when when you are in that situation and is there's you, you know, you've got a response from a bull. He's 
he's just kind of responding. He's letting you know. It's not like some crazy pissed off bugle or anything like that. But I think what a lot of people wonder in their mind is how do you know whether we go Rocky or Debbie does Dallas? Like, is there a way like the, the vocalization, they they tell you, okay, but how, how do they tell you? Is it, is it just an, I know I, I, I am asking, you know, for, I think that that something for, well, let me put it to you this way. I think it's fair to say that, um, you all actually, all of us, all four of us have over 30 years of experience hunting, right? So sometimes when we talk about things, we, we look at them from the perspective of this is just super obvious, right? It's, it, this, sure. is, uh, this is stuff we've known since we were, we were kids or, or whatever. How does the guy that is coming from, you know, uh, North Carolina that's hunting elk for the first time in his life, or, uh, you know, maybe he grew up in New Mexico and this, this is going to be he's, – he's interested in, in learning how to elk hunt. And he's going out there and he gets this response. Walk that guy, the, the, these fresh eyes on the, on the elk country, the elk terrain. He's never heard – this is the first time he's heard an elk bugle back at him. How do you describe it to that, that person? Uh, I, again, I, I got to – I always got to say this. I keep using the term guy or dude. Th- let's just say hunter. This, this hunter, first time hearing an elk bugle, th- these vocalizations are a brand new thing to him. How do you describe it to that individual? Look, I came from a family of six kids, and I could always tell when mom, dad, no matter where they were in the house, outside, I could tell whether they were calling me, whether they were requesting my attention, or where they were kicked at me just because of the emotion and how they did it. I think every person can read how an elk's emotion is because it's so much like how we react to each other, whether that is just, I mean, when when you hear and you go and listen, look, go to like Chris's site and you can hear, you know, what it's like when, when a bull is just doing a basic location bugle or when he's just responding or when he's starting to, scream a little bit and get in that vibrato that in that voice kind of that you growl. know my dad oh my when when my dad Grass. says you know my dad says hey joe come on over here and i'm like okay i'll be there in a second but my dad goes i said to get over here i mean oh i'm like there right now because yeah yeah he, yeah he you know and it's the same thing it's like how quick it comes to you how harsh it can it comes to you um tells you what their emotion is and so if i have a bull that just like chris said with that basic bugle before and just says like that i'm gonna go oh get over here you know i do that i'm just like smacking him in the face and he's not in that mood he's not worked up there right now and that's what dirk was talking about before you have an animal that responds you close into we're going to go over that hill i'm going to cow call when he responds i'm going to scream at him well why man you've just gone into the bar you know you've just found a guy in there that turned and communicate a little bit and you went and popped him in the mouth i mean it's uh, yeah. The elk will tell you. They will tell you exactly where they are. And and I tell people, and I, and I've heard people say that you don't do this, but look, I I I tell people a lot of times that you can, if you are unsure, you can mimic 
how that bull responds to you with the same tone, if not just a little bit less than what they have, man. And, you know, some people say, well, you don't know what you're saying to them. I have some friends from Venezuela. We call them the mafia, man. Yeah, the Venezuela mafia. (laughs) Yeah. And and when they came to the United States, if somebody said hello to them, they could go hello. They had, and there's words they would use. They had, they had no idea what they were saying, but they were able to communicate. The part of knowing what they were saying happened more and more as they were involved with other people speaking that language. But if you want to be safe and you're not sure, that's a default that I tell people that they can use. It's awesome. just awesome. No, that's great. I I think that the the one thing that I'll add to that in terms of somebody that. Well, you know, we know I, I'm really, really good at calling in elk. I, I, I'm, I, I would say that I am really good at calling in elk now killing elk. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not that great at it, you know? Uh, but in terms of calling in elk, so from that perspective, I could tell you that I, I think that, that folks listening to this, use your gut instinct. You, like, what do you feel like that bull is saying to you? And if, if you follow what you feel like that bull is saying to you, I almost guarantee you, you're going to be right because they, like you said, people that don't speak the language, they could, they could hear the tone. So that, that's, that was actually a really good way to put that, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, I think, does that make sense? How I said that? Yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. And I think it's, I think it's primal, you know, whether you're talking to elk or talking to your dog, you're right. You, yeah. Your dog, you're like, come on, come on. And then he doesn't come. And finally, you're like, get over here. That dog yep. knows. It's yeah, something, absolutely. You know, you're not happy. And you're going to hear that same kind of response out of a bull elk. You're going to hear the normal response, normal bugles. But when he gets ticked off, you're going to know it. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, uh, he's mad. <laughs> there is nothing better than yeah. hearing that pissed off bull growl, grumbly, just moany. I, I don't know if in the in all the things that I hunt, anything gets me more excited than when that bull is just pissed and he's he's ready to rumble. And so, anyways, guys, I know we're we're going super long here. Uh, we're we're coming on to to about two hours. So I want to let's maybe wrap this up by uh, telling everybody where they could find you and where you know we all have podcasts, uh, Chris. I got to tell you, man, I've been waiting for your podcast to release a new episode for I don't know how long. I know, man. And it's been I, crickets. It's no, I, it, well, okay, two, two things. And um, I, I will be honest with you, I have wrestled with the second one uh, pretty significantly lately. And, and I will, I am going to talk about that on an upcoming podcast, but just here's so two things. Number one, um, yeah, so I, I am, you know, summer hit or whatever, when September hits, I guide and the <laughs> change in the Colorado season structure basically pulled me out of the pocket as far as being able to hunt for myself this year. So I just went all in on focusing on my clients. So I had to get down there first part of September. Then I was hunting the middle two weeks of September and then I also run the hunting programs uh, out here in Northwest Kansas for our deer hunts. And so I had to get all of our uh, food plots and stuff situated and all the hunt infrastructure. And then literally this year we had guys roll in 
middle of October, and we just finished up with the bulk. Of, I, I'm, I'm dealing with one landowner right now with his rifle hunt. I've got possibly another rifle hunter coming in, and then I then I start rolling into our doe management hunt. So my falls are really busy anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's going to that's gonna pull me out of the pocket a little bit. But that that is legitimate, but it's kind of also an excuse. Um, well, and there's, this, there's this the year, modeling gig too, right? But yeah. Well, it's gonna I your do new that. Underwear line. I, correct. I do that for free. <laughs> that's just a passion of mine. That's a set. That's a side hustle. That let's just not talk about that for right now. Well, I was going to um, say the the whitey tidies, you know, they have those shorts that say juicy, but the new correct. thing that's coming on the market is it's going to say, row hunting resources okay and okay I, okay we're not releasing that see, oh, yeah. just, oh okay so yeah. I, you know what yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll edit yeah, that out buddy it's okay thank you because that it's hard to put on a thong but um <laughs> so <laughs> i'm gonna send gotta some go to vertical dirt. man I'm gotta gonna, go I'm, vertical I'm, I'm gonna send some to dirk to test out Better. before we release it he and will then, man. Um, he's a good model for that what do you think he's wearing right now? Um, anyway, the other flip side is, and this is something that I think is going to be, and, and I, I finally have made the commitment to myself, you know, 2020 um, has been a, I'm, I'm going to use a, a four letter word. It's just been a shit year for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, there's some things going on politically and s- from a social philosophical level that have, as someone who, um, I, I, I love, I'm a constitutional conservative that loves what the, um, intent and the foundation of what this country was about. And yes, we, this country has failed or come fallen short in a couple things, but I, I am, I am not one of those ones that wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just decide to go down a socialist communist route. And, and so some events of these last couple of months have, have impacted me and, and have caused me to really think and do some serious deep level thinking on my own and, and just kind of figure out what, okay, what does the future hold? And that, um, and I, and I, and, the reason why I'm going to share this on the podcast is because I, I just recently figured out what it was that was affecting me and why it was just shutting me down because in a, in a many ways, and, and I, I love, and I'm, I cannot thank you enough, Jim, seriously for this podcast. Cause I needed this. I, I needed to just sit and, and get my mind out of it and just relax and have fun and joke with like-minded individuals about a passion that we all have. But well, you, know, the you one, and I, one thing that I got to clarify, man, is I was hoping Hillary was going to jump in, back in with those pantsuits. I was pretty excited about it and I haven't seen shit from her lately. Biden's going to wear <laughs> Biden is going to Biden said he already is going to take over her wardrobe. So I think she, I think he's going to have the pantsuit covered for you. You got to quit referring to him as he it's it's a uh, they. The, yeah. OK. Sorry, fair enough. OK. Fair OK. Enough. We're now now we're so, getting way too. So, deep. But my point being is, is um yeah. Yeah. So there there were some things that I had to wrestle through. I, I spent a lot of time. um educating myself and kind of doing some really deep thinking on what I, what was important in my life and what I wanted to focus on. I think I'm back in a good mindset to just kind of have some conversations. 
however, I think people are going to see that there's going to be a different level conversation coming up on some of the new podcasts because, sorry, we're in a different time and different times require different conversations. And you know what? It's part of who I am. I can't not have these conversations. I've tried it now for the past couple of years and it's just driving me nuts. So it's time to get Chrissy back into the fray on what Chrissy has been passionate about. And so we're going to have a different level of conversation. So no, yes, and I, I totally I understand that, Chris. And it's, it's just been a tough year. The, the whole, you know, I, I, and I always hate election years anyways, but uh, you know, I, I have, I've, I've, what I've done is I've, I've come to terms with the fact that the, the only political party that I, I, I care about is freedom and hunting. I, that's, that's all I care about. I like, leave me alone. And, and, and I, I, this isn't a, a political podcast, but people that listen to this have heard me rant on this before. I, I, this has been a very difficult year. It's been a very difficult uh, economy in terms of, uh, you know, for, for my yeah. day job, uh, you know, to yep. put it into yeah, perspective, you. like, you know, you know, I, I, uh, I estimate big commercial projects and everybody didn't want to do anything about their commercial roofs that were pouring down rain all spring because of this co- coronavirus. And, and now, now here we are in December, I'm running like a chicken with my head cut off because everybody wants a roof on, um, yeah. because you know, winter's coming. Yeah. Now it's time to put a roof it's on. It's like, you know, uh, it, it's just been a difficult year and, and, and my escape, my escape for all of this stuff is always hunting and, and the hunting community and the people that are in the hunting space that I could talk to. And I, I can, that, that those endorphins get flowing, man. When I, when I talk about, especially elk, especially elk, I, I can't think of a better topic to refocus my mind and just talk about elk and, and how they talk and, and whether they like Debbie does Dallas or Rocky five and, and all these things that, that just, they, they, it always puts a f- smile on my face, no matter what I do. And, and it's going to take a lot of the tension out of, out of some of the things that maybe upset us, you know, and, and so it's just a, it's just a good place to be. And, and, uh, thank God I'm a hunter. Uh, that that's, yeah. I think what I'd leave, leave that with. So, well, and, and podcasts like this where we can, we can, you know, obviously it's the four of us talking, but there's going to be thousands of other people, uh, hopefully tens. I don't know what, how big your following is now, but I mean, I hope tens of thousands Millions. of people listening to this. Millions. <laughs> millions. No, I don't. Uh, not <laughs> millions. <laughs> Dream big, man. Those are those are. You got to bump those numbers up. Yeah, look, um, look. I'm a I'm a full glass looking guy. It's not half glass around know. here. So go ahead. I, there you the, go. the pod, podcasts allow a lot of people to listen in and and connect with people that maybe they don't have the chance to go sit at the archery range and shoot with or go to the bar and hang out with or go have a barbecue with, but they can damn well just sit there and listen and go, yeah, you know, or, or, or maybe they won't, maybe, maybe they sit there and go, this guy's full of freaking crap. Well, at least, okay. At least I got you to think, at least you can engage your brain and you could say, okay, well, wait a minute. This is, I don't agree with that because of X, Y, and Z or at least maybe I made you think, and, and it, it it gives it an intellectual stimulation yeah. and a way to you, you flex your ideas and your thoughts and either commiserate with like-minded individuals or say, no, I don't agree with that, and, and, and think about why rather than just, you know, just living in your own little tight box, and so... No, it's, it's been a personal growth year for me um, with, with a variety of... Um, just shitty events. Um, and so I'm, I'm 
I'm in a headspace now where I think it's time to just climb up, saddle up, and uh, let's let's just head out and let's just see where things go. You need to, Chris, because you got. Uh, I'm telling you right now, you you have a lot to offer people, and so it, it's that's it's it is time. We we gotta. Gosh, it, it, I appreciate that. <laughs> you got a lot to offer people. I, I hope you don't get too bogged down with all this nonsense that's going on in the world. And uh, I, I think I speak for everybody when I when I say we it, there there is a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of stuff that uh, it just it, it's really frustrating this year. But um, man, you but you, you got a you lot. You can get yourself as frustrated as you want yeah. as well too. And and just remember, guys, that life is ten percent what happens to us and ninety percent how we deal with it. So. Correct. You know, yeah, very uh, true. Good point. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so, Chris, we, we can we can look forward to some some future podcasts coming from you. Um, and and what Correct. is your podcast called exactly? It's every everything I do, brother. I try to keep it easy. It's just row hunting resources. Row hunting so resources. Yeah, R O E. Whether you're looking on Instagram, uh, and that's here we go. There's one of them. I'm gonna. I am going to start just on principle. I'm gonna start moving away from Facebook and Instagram. I'm gonna. I, I will still engage them, but I am gonna start uh, putting content up on Parlor, up on MeWe, up on Rumble. I'm gonna start moving away from uh, YouTube a little bit more. Uh, so, but if you want to engage me in any way, you just look up row hunting resources, R O E hunting resources. It, it, you're, you're going to find me. I, I keep that consistent across all platforms. Our website is just rowhuntingresources.com. I mean, it's pretty darn easy. Yep. Yep. And, and like I do every time guys, when, as we're talking about this, you guys listening is, uh, I, I, I encourage you to jump onto rowhuntingresources.com, check out the platform. Um, and, and there's, there's so much good content on there. Uh, Joe, how about you? Let's, let's talk about your podcast and, and how people find you and, and, uh, and go from there. Um, go into Apple podcast, do a search for elk hunting and, You'll see blue collar elk hunting pop up there. So real easy to find it there, whether you're on Stitcher or any any of your apps that you do. Just do a search for elk hunting, man, and you'll find us. And uh, if you're not finding us there, um, just go to elkbros.com, E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. And everything's there on our site. All of links to anything YouTube, any of our podcasts, to our uh, Blue Collar Elk Academy, our base camp online training course, merch, anything you want there. We're real easy to find. You can connect to us there. Um, we are, gosh, we just recorded episode 99. It's still, we did actually two episodes. So we are three weeks away from our 100th episode yeah. of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. I, and, I was going to uh, say, you got a big milestone coming, man huge man and it, it for us it's huge i mean gosh i remember when we started this i was like three weeks into it like you know well what content am i going to talk about after the fourth week <laughs> so you know it uh, yeah it's yeah. it's been awesome it's it's, yeah, it's really yeah, been great it's so, um, so funny you say that when i started my podcast i used to go through and i'd make these like uh episode guidelines or or um uh-huh guides and and I would lay out the episode all these questions I would ask and and like a format right and and they right. sounded like I did that they sounded like I did that in fact Dirk was the first guy on my podcast and I apologize mm-hmm. about that Dirk but uh he was the first guy on <laughs> on, on the show 
And um, I got away from that. I got away from that. And and like I, what I found is we just have these great conversations. I don't need a guide. I don't need a question questionnaire. I don't need any of that stuff. I, I, we're not because I, I I came from the writing background, right? And so I. I I don't need any of that. I'm not writing anything. So this is this has been fantastic since I've shifted that. I had nothing really prepared except for my uh, super cool intros of each one of you. I had nothing prepared for tonight, <laughs> and, and so and they, they were awesome, dude. Those were those were a squad right there. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, and and uh, just just like I said for Chris, guys, if you if you're checking any of this out, we're in the off season now. Uh, September, September's a couple months behind us. And, and that's kind of the focus of this discussion. Um, but now is the time. Now is the time to jump on to row hunting resources and, and the blue collar elk, uh, Academy. Um, and, and obviously the elk collective, uh, all, all these platforms where you have so much time to just absorb all this information and you're going to be so much better come September 1, 2021. And it, it'll, it'll amaze you. And the confidence levels one. And I think, I don't know if it was Joe or who was talking about having confidence. And that's one of the mistakes hunters make is they, they don't trust their confidence level. Um, I, Dirk, Dirk brought that up, but he's absolutely right. And that's huge. Yeah. The confidence. It's all about confidence. It's the confidence. And if you, if you don't have the confidence now, get on these platforms. So I I appreciate you guys, Dirk. uh, Let's, let's wrap it up with you where, where your platforms, your podcasts, the, the one that is always a, a tongue twister for me is the Bugler broadcast podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you have to say it right. You have to say the Beatler Broadcast podcast. Yes. <laughs> you have to take a breath in between. Tongue <laughs> twister for me too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can follow me personally on the Bugler one word on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and YouTube. And then I have my the Bugler Broadcast podcast on Apple, iTunes. Um, YouTube. I put those uh, episodes on YouTube as well. Um, it's on Stitcher and uh, Spotify. So you can follow and, the podcast there and then go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, you also have like a, you have a YouTube series coming out on, on your elk hunts, right? Um, yeah, there'll be some elk hunting videos coming out at some point. Uh, we're still editing and whatnot, but uh, they'll, they'll make it out at, at some point. Someday. You know, Dirk, ever since <laughs> I don't have ever, a release date yet. <laughs> ever I gotta I gotta tell you something, Dirk. Ever since you moved to southern Idaho with mm-hmm. all the flatlanders, everything <laughs> seems to take you longer to get out. Your podcasts, your videos, all this <laughs> stuff. Like, what's going on? Is there too much Joe's crab shack going on down there? <laughs> uh, I've been to gro- Joe's Crab Shack a lot. I mean, I mean, I hate to admit it. Okay, every night this week I've been there. No, I'm just kidding. But it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it. It is worth every it. Damn, every damn dime. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Joe does crabs, man. Joe knows barbecue dungeness, baby. <laughs> barbecue dungeness. Uh, I, I may have hunted a little too much this fall. That's why we're. I'm a little behind on on editing. So yeah, um, I hear you for sure. So. But uh, and then as far as, uh, you know, the Elk Collective, you can check that out at the elkcollective.com. And it's a uh, digital education website, uh, subscription based, and it's a video based uh, education. So, you know, some people like to read 
stuff. Me, uh, I seem to kind of start reading and I kind of get sidetracked and pretty soon I'm thinking other things. But uh, this is all video. So uh, I feel like a lot of people learn a little easier by if they can watch it and listen and, yeah. and learn that way. And uh, then if they were like, wait, what did he say? You can always go back and, and rewind and, and watch it again. So, mm-hmm. um, and the cool thing about um, the Elk Collective is, you know, like I said before, it's just not me. It's, it's, uh, it's other guys in the industry, including Chris Rowe has got some uh, information on there, but we also let them promote their own, own brand and their own stuff on there. You know, um, we're not here to say it, you know, the Elk Collective is the end all be all. It's a great place for for everybody to gather and, and learn. And um, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool place. And also it's not like a one and done. It's not like you pay for the course and that's all you get is this one, one trip through the salad bar and, and that's it. But no, it, so this year's content was unique. 2021, we're going to have all new content and you're going to be able to see 2020s content and it's just going to build built from there. So yeah, it's going to be cool. So that way it gives people an incentive to, you know, stay involved and, and keep watching, keep growing. So awesome. I, I would like to just chime in real quick on, um, we've, we've talked about the L collective. We've talked about blue collar elk calling Academy, or I'm sorry. I, I keep saying calling elk blue collar hunting, elk hunting Academy. Elk hunting. Yeah. Yep. And, and, uh, and then row hunting resources. Uh, we, we've talked about all the three of these, platforms picture this if let's say you're listening to this and and you're coming out and you spent five years either more or less give or take and and you've been out there you've 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 been a grinder you've been you've pushed it hard you've put in the miles you have called in elk you have uh been out for seven days at in one trip and never heard a peep out of another elk or you've uh, maybe even tagged an elk, but you've been going at it and you're frustrated and you, you feel like you need to be better guys. The tools are right in front of your face. The tools to become a better hunter are right in front of your face. And it is within the three platforms that we have on this particular episode. And I, I these were strategically picked for this episode for your benefit. So, you can listen, obviously you can, and I, I've got to promote the my, my own podcast. You can listen to the School of September. All these guys were on the School of September uh, series that we did last summer. And, and that, was, that was a great series. But if you truly want to take it to the next level, you need to get on and in, instead of buying a, a, you know, a, a new pack because your pack is, is two years old and, and maybe it's outdated and, and your, your favorite pack brand has come out with some kind of improvement that is supposedly so much better than two years ago. Let me tell you something, guys, I've hauled out elk on an old Vietnam era military pack. And, and you need to, you need to focus on you invest in you row hunting resources, We've got the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy. We've got the Elk Collective. These tools, if you if you go through the content of these tools and these resources that are available to you, you are going to go into September 2021 10 times better, at a minimum, 10 times better as an elk hunter in terms of confidence, in terms of your knowledge of the elk, in terms of your strategy, in terms of your calling, in terms of your care for, uh, I'm sorry, your meat care. Uh, everything that you need to know is on these platforms. 
And if you're one of those guys that's been out or gals has been out for several years in a row and have yet to notch your tag, this is how you do it. And I'm telling you that from a guy that spent years not, not notching any tags on elk to this last September, I called in over 17 bulls. Now, granted, I didn't kill one because I'm not, you know, what am I, Dirk Durham? What am I, Joe, Julia? <laughs> I, I'm no Chris. I'm not Chris Rowe, but I called in over 17 bulls. And the year before that, same thing. And, and guess what? I started notching tags and, and guess what? I started having these crazy adventures and, and I don't mean to just drag this on, but I cannot stress enough. The most important investment that you can make for your upcoming season, this next coming season in September of 2021 is right between your ears, in yourself, learn everything you can about these animals and you will be successful. I don't say I guarantee it, but I promise you, your season will be enhanced by knowing this knowledge. Invest in it. Guys, thanks a bunch for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I feel like we could, we could keep this going for like two or three more hours, but uh, th this yeah. has been a yeah. this has been a great conversation. I've got some of the greatest elk minds uh, in the world right here on this episode, and uh, I just sure appreciate you guys joining me for this episode. Uh, gentlemen, it's, it's been heck of a lot of fun. I appreciate the invite, Jim, and uh, congratulations on. I mean, seriously, you, none of us none of us can can shoot the arrow or or pull the trigger for anybody out there. We can't control the wind, but all we can do is try to help you be more consistent in putting elk in front of you and so to you jim seriously you know whether or not you've notched a tag the fact that you're calling in 17 bulls hell that makes me jealous so congratulations <laughs> yeah good job <laughs> thank you thank you absolutely well thanks a bunch. Yeah, thank you very pleasure. much jim for the invite had a great time all right guys thanks a bunch and uh, hopefully we could do this again in the future and um i can't thank absolutely. you enough awesome thank you yeah man thanks jim made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain <laughs>